I frankly think that crisis initiation is really tough. And it's very hard for me to see how the United States uh, president can get us to war with Iran. Um, which leads me to conclude that if, in fact, compromise is not coming, that the traditional way of Amer America gets to war is what would be best for U.S. interests. Uh, some people might think that Mr. Roosevelt wanted to get us into World War II, as David mentioned. You may recall we had to wait for Pearl Harbor. Some people might think Mr. Wilson wanted to get us into World War I. You may recall he had to wait for the Lusitania episode. Some people might think that Mr. Johnson wanted to send troops to Vietnam. You may recall that he had to wait for the Gulf of Tonkin episode. Uh, we didn't go to war with Spain until the USS, uh, yes. until the Maine exploded. And may I point out that Mr. Lincoln did not feel he could call out the Federal Army until Fort Sumter was attacked which is why he ordered the commander at Fort Sumter to do exactly that thing which the South Carolinians had said would cause an attack. So if, in fact, the Iranians aren't going to compromise, it would be best if somebody else started the war. One can combine other means of pressure with sanctions. I mentioned that explosion on August 17th. We could step up the pressure. I mean, look, people, Iranian submarines periodically go down. Someday one of them might not come up. Who would know why? <laughs> we can do a variety of things if we wish to increase the pressure. I'm not advocating that, but I'm just suggesting that uh, it, it, it's, this, this is not a, a either-or proposition. Of, you know, it's just sanctions has to, has to succeed or other things. We are in the game of using covert means against the Iranians. We, we could get nastier at that. My father told me when I was a child, People in authority lie. Welcome to The Daily Wrap-Up, a concise show dedicated to bringing you the most relevant, independent news as we see it from the last 24 hours. Monday, March 12th, 2023. Thank you for joining me today. Got a big show for you today. It's In a usual day, it might be a long three, four-hour show. I'm going to try to do it in a really short period of about two and a half hours i'm just i'm genuinely going to try to get this done for my own purposes in a in a rapid style but it's a long show there's a lot to get into just to i guess make that confusing for everybody right out of the gate i thought that was an important clip to start with i thought about how to start today's show there's a lot to go over and it's an interesting show today you've known in the, a lot in the past a lot of the shows that i've done in the past i try to carry some kind of common thread throughout all of the content, even if that's not necessarily there when I organize what I'm going to talk about, try to find common threads between certain things. And, you know, sometimes that can lead you to things that might not be there. It's confirmation bias and so on that question, everything, including our own, you know, findings. But today's interesting because that, but the point was that doesn't always happen. Today's interesting because it's one of those examples where I'm kind of going through the, the SV, the uh, Silicon Valley bank conversation, the you know previous conversation about the impending collapse, like even pre-2008, after 2008, all the information between all that time period and how a lot of very intelligent people, and I don't mean the financial advisors out there or the economists that are always wrong, have been telling you this is coming. Now, that doesn't mean it's tomorrow, the next day. People have been saying it for years. That doesn't mean they're wrong. 
They've seen the writing on the wall about the way the system is built. And, and this is an, a, a foregone conclusion. So in looking in the financial part of this, I, I've looked at kind of, you know, foreign policy, the Great Reset. And it's not that hard to see. Obviously, you guys even know where I'm going with this, that I, you begin to see a very common thread throughout all of this. And, you know, from partisan perspectives, you can argue this is America under attack. And that's actually very accurate. But I tend to think it's not either side of the paradigm and how they perceive it. I think it's much bigger than that. And I do think that this country is under attack. I think that all of them are under attack. And I think that right now, in particular, the United States is focused on in a very obvious way. But right now, you are under attack. You. Whether we're talking about COVID-19 and the medical tyranny, your body being the new battlefield, you know, from the previous security state into the biosecurity state, we're now talking about how ultimately you are being manipulated. Always. You are under you are on the target of a psychological operation that's been going on for, I mean, since inception, really. We're talking about the two-party illusion. We're talking about, as we're going to get into today, as I see it, not every single aspect, but very clear two-party illusion, deception operatives. Now, I don't mean that in the sense that that ultimately we're talking about. I mean, I mean, it could be, you know, CIA agents or FBI agents, but ultimately people wittingly, unwittingly, who are set into this scenario, the political sphere and are driving a very clear division, divisive kind of tactic where they're playing roles. And, and I, I really don't understand how we don't see this from all these different perspectives. But at the end of the day, I think it's important that we stand back and try to question how we see the connected points and all of this. But overall, you are the focus. And that opening clip from Patrick Claussen and the Washington Institute, we're talking about the engineering of these events. Now, it's barely under the surface, and I mean, not even really in that clip. He's ultimately talking about how they wait for these events. And the reality is that you can prove many of these events have been engineered, all of them, if you really understand your history. And that's basically what they're talking about, is that we need to engineer or rather just wait for some kind of an event to justify what we already wanted to do. And that's happening right now to you in your life and around the world. And I, 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 my point in the beginning was whether I wanted a foreign policy point to carry that over or a financial point. We could find some sort of financial banking discussion, but this one felt very valid because we're talking about whether it's financial or foreign policy or whatever else that you are being led into this by people in power that want you to act very particular ways. So just think about that as we go through this today. And I genuinely think the two-party illusion is the one of the last pieces stopping people in this country from truly seeing what's actually going on. I, by the way, just on a quick note, I see people commenting on the lighting in the chat. What's funny about this is that they're they're from the office to, to the house location, which is where I currently am. There's the lighting is the same setup, but there's different things that we've been playing with. Ultimately, uh, this is just a little bit higher today. Feel free to give me feedback on it. Ultimately, the original version I was using here, it's just super washed out. It looks very white and it makes me look like, you know, just I don't know when you compare it to somebody who has a little bit softer light, it just looks terrible. So let me obviously people don't think this one looks any better. Feel free to let me know. Please shoot me notes. I'm trying to, you know, when you go to multiple locations, you tend to just kind of let things lie and I forget to come back to it. So feel free to let me know because it matters to me. I mean, ultimately, it's I obviously care far, far less about this than I do the content, but, you know, so on. <laughs> let me know. All right. So let's start today. Oh, and by the way, other than the two things I mentioned, we're obviously going to talk about Ohio. There's a very interesting, I had a very, very important conversation with Brian Festa from um, We the Patriots USA nonprofit about his lawsuit directed at the EPA. 
Mike DeWine, government officials, not just not Norfolk Southern, which is where everybody else seems to be going. So and I really hope I hope you check that out. It's a really important conversation about an hour long. It was really, really good. And I, I think that he deserves your support. But we're, and we're going to talk about how this overlap is showing the reality of the situation, the the not just the that's why I labeled it Ohio revelations. It's not just this problem. The more we dig into this, corporate America points out the uh, the PFAS overlap and all these things that we've all kind of known about, you know, the forever chemicals. Oh, we've heard about that. Haven't we? Have we heard about these, you know, PCB or, you know, what's the other term PCBs? But the there's a lot of these out there that we've heard about. We talk about we hear all these shock articles about how it's the biggest thing ever. And then it drifts away and we never talk about it again. And nothing changes. That's the same thing with dioxin. Right. The same thing with these forever chemicals. And we're finding it everywhere. How about benzene? Oh, my gosh. We're all talking about benzene over here because of the crack. But guess what? Do some research, which this is how the evolution of this goes for people like us. You dig into the story. And all of a sudden you're going, wait a minute, this seems to be everywhere. This seems to have been happening for 20 years. Why only now is it being focused on? Well, it could be organic. It could be that this is because this thing happened and they don't want us to see it. And all of a sudden it spotlights a problem we didn't know before. And that's possible. I mean, it's 50-50 as far as I'm concerned. But one of the other very serious possibilities is that this has been executed. Whether it was an organic crash that they then chose to use and burn a certain way to make a certain comment or, you know, look at the dioxin problem or however you want to look at it. It's very important to realize that this is now being used, whether organic or engineered, to rush us into, well, yeah, our infrastructure is terrible. Look at all these problems. How did it get this way? You let it get this way. And now you're pointing at your problem to justify the solution, problem, reaction, solution. Now, this is always how it goes. Everywhere across the board, we're seeing this. That doesn't mean everything all the time, everybody involved, right? We have to be objective about this. And yes, this is considered conspiracy, not in the sense of how they say it, but actually powerful people colluding behind the scenes to execute a certain agenda, whether it's for your best interest or not. That's a conspiracy. The problem is that they want to label all of that as false. Obviously, that's not true. So let's get into it today and go through a lot of that, including the final part, which is a touch on the Great Reset which obviously I think this is all tied into, but I'd like to start with a, a note on what we have coming up on the 20th. This is the T-Lab fundraising event, March 20th, where everybody uh, on the T-Lab team specifically is going to be there uh, kind of intermittently. Scott and I will be there in, at, 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 the, at the office, basically uh, executing this event from the, uh, in central time, the 11 to 4 and it's kind of like a half-day fundraising event for some of the things we want to put on and just trying to maintain what we're now trying to do, bring on more people and more parts of, you know, basically Scott and I have a lot of ideas about how we want to grow and bring in more people, more writers, more, you know, all sorts of stuff, right? And every single thing that comes in here, basically, as you guys know, goes to basically maintaining me living and people on the team living, eating, things like that. And then every single thing else we get goes directly into this platform, which, I mean, I think is undeniably clear. The bottom line, though, is that this is going to be about trying to raise those funds to go forward for a lot of great things. And and it's going to be throughout that period, people coming in at different times. It's kind of going to be a casual event. We'll be there to ask, answer questions, engage with conversation, maybe have some news coverage, different people joining in, surprise people showing up. I've invited all sorts of different people. Who knows who will stop by? I kind of thought about it like for those that are familiar with the Kakua Fest that Jack Johnson puts on in Hawaii. I went there a couple of times while I was living there. And it's an amazing event. It's really just kind of he just has this event and every year he just goes, my friends are invited <laughs> and any number of people show up from, from Ben Harper to Eddie Vedder. I mean, it's just crazy. 
high, wildly famous people. They just show up randomly. They're not on the bill. I thought I love the idea. And so that's my, I just put this out. Anybody out there listening who wants to maybe pop in and have a conversation for five, 20, an hour, it's totally up to you. Shoot, shoot me a message and uh, we'll, we'll, you know, get it set up. So we'll all be there. Whitney, myself, Derek, Taylor, Robert, Matt, Eric, Scott Armstrong, we'll all be there talking at different times about all sorts of fun stuff. And uh, on this actual page, you can donate here as well as these links at the bottom. But it'll be about raising awareness and talking about a bunch of stuff, but as well as just kind of push this into where we're going to be going. Okay, now. I want to start in a interesting place. And this is about this like woke <laughs> policy. I mean, this... I, I actually, as much as I, I went through this entirely, went to the page itself, went to the grants, and I'm still going like, am I being tricked here? How can this be real? This is a Bill and, Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation funded face mask for cows. This is real. I mean, I, I'm, I'm as, I mean, it's on the surface disputed in and its own like the idea that cow and, and cows and methane and cow farts are breathing or whatever else is the problem is wildly disputed by lots of people as well as the core fund the foundational concept of you know carbon and whether we're actually in an issue like there, we, we all know this you can dispute it all day long but we all know if you're honest with yourself that there are very educated people out there with all sorts of credentials and schooling and whatever else that have all the right kind of knowledge that say that they're wrong about what's going on with climate change and the problem there so at the very least we should go okay maybe there's a conversation to be had here the reason i'm starting with this is because there's an interesting overlap as we're going to get into right out next after three more tabs into the silicon valley bank conversation and how there's an overlap with the, the kind of woke mindset and people are asking whether or not that played a factor in whether in in, in the, the failing of this bank it's a fair question and i i hope people can stand back from the two party paradigm and understand how that whole woke mindset is an agenda and it's not yes it's clearly on one side of the paradigm but it's not just about one side of the paradigm we need and this is what i'm going to get into in the operatives part today i think we're all being played in very interesting ways with twitter and these people out there there's so many i think there's more fake people bots and all this going on than we possibly understand today and it is now engineering and driving people including myself in a very interesting direction now to start here the critical sway shout out to this account i'm not familiar with but this is where i saw it the bill and melinda, bill and melinda gates foundation just announced a 4.7 million dollar grant for a company that literally sells face masks for cows. I mean, I just, I'll just go right to it. I, I think that's all he said in here. He had a couple comments, but here is, yeah, right. In brief, cow belch methane, which the mask reportedly converts to CO2 as fast as it comes into the atmosphere, which in and of its own, in and of itself, I, I kind of don't, th I mean, that seems highly unlikely. Just, just with all the things we know, like the idea that that's going to be snug, snug to their face and the cow's not going to, I mean, there's, this is just ridiculous. And, and even if it works exactly the way they say it does, and even if that is the right answer, this is ridiculous for a hundred different reasons. These are people sitting in desks in the coastlines who have no idea what it actually takes to manage animals or a farm. I mean, that's my personal opinion. But I mean, I'm not only have I already, I spoke to a couple people today just about this. People that I know that have farms, especially in different, I, I lived in Idaho for a while as well. The bottom line being that you can, ask any farmer about this and they're going to tell you that they could tell you a hundred thousand reasons why this is going to be likely impossible because of the way i mean 
I could get into all sorts of hypotheticals, but the idea this is going to one stay on the cow as they bump into each other, whatever else, or the fact that it's not going to cause rashes or other kinds of problems or illnesses or bacteria buildup. I mean, this is just ridiculous. But of course, it makes it look like we're solving the problem. They tell you you should. But to make it clear, this is funded. It's called ZELP Limited by the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation to the tune of $4.7 million. Of course, under the Agricultural Department, which is not even what that really is. Like, yes, it's the it's right now being done in the realm of that. But you're talking how is this technology uh, agricultural development at all? It's an interesting kind of saddling with that. But either way, it is actually happening. And I, one other thing I noticed in this while I was looking for the grants was there's one for the United Nations Population Fund, which is kind of an eerie term. This is from March 11th for two point four million dollars from from the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation under family planning. This just screams eugenics, if you ask me, but you guys can think for yourselves. But I just think that's a really interesting kind of I mean, what else do you think family planning means? They're talking about contraception. You know, this is under gender equality. I, you guys think for yourselves, but there's a lot of interesting things in there. It's side point. But back to this, this is the actual I, I thought about using this for the image today, but it's just not as it's just I, I don't know. It's just such a silly thing. Now, for uh, by the way, I looked this up really quickly just to find this. It's not even real. Like they, they used a fake picture that you can buy off, you know, whatever those fake picture things are for, for those morons that still pay for pictures today. And they just used I mean, look, you can see it's exactly the same picture, like literally the same cow. Right. And they picked it because it already had like a collar on and they just made it. Now, you may not think that's a big deal. But ask yourself, why would they why wouldn't they just get? Well, here you go. Here's to me. That shows you that it's not a real world thing, that they haven't actually tested this in the sense that it's being used, because I bet you'd be really hard to put it on a cow, have them be OK with that and have them stand there and get a nice picture of it. But, you know, maybe it's just them making sure it looks nice. You read into it if you want. I personally think it's because this is more about theoretical pushing of politics than actual things. But here's what they tell you. Improving animal welfare, which is just utterly stupid. If you want my how look, the idea that this is stopping, you know, climate change on its face is hard to understand and believe personally, if you understand the, the at least the challenges to this mindset. But how then is stopping their methane from hurting the planet, improving their welfare? Right. Well, you'll find out because guess what? It also tracks everything they do. It tracks their heart rate. It monitors things, you know, like a wearable for you. <laughs> totally not connected, though. Wearable technology. Just like we said at the beginning of COVID, the illusion of therein, that we talked about the wearables and the, all the things they were pushing, even the lockdowns, the quarantines, all these things were used for tracking of cattle and livestock and prisons, all of them. Now, you could pretend that doesn't have some kind of implication, but I think you'd be wrong. Now, this says co corporations and governments are under pressure to minimize their effects on globe. Yes, exactly. Now, this is the real point. This is some kind of illogical leap into what they tell you the wrong, the problem that needs to be fixed is. And really, they're being pressured from something. Now, why does that make sense? Why do we understand? Why is the government having pressure from some outside? Is it's a, that, that shows you the creeping on sovereignty. The government's being pressured, and they're not talking about the governments that are doing the pressuring along with the global entities. They're talking about all those out there that may not agree with this. They may not believe in this. They may realize that there's a lie happening here, and yet they're being pressured. Pressured to do this. Why? To minimize their effect on global warming. By the way, which is something that a lot of high-level people all around the world question 
about what they're the way they're framing. It doesn't mean there's not problems with the planet or that we're destroying the planet. Yeah. Look into corporations, military pollution. Yeah. That's the real problem. Not cows, not your car. But here it says one wearable device. Then this is an interesting overlap with where they tell you your future is going. If you listen to any of them and don't look on Twitter, where they'll call you crazy for listening to what they tell you they want to do. Wearable devices, which translates then into implantables. And we've already heard them all talk about this. So this is a normalization of that factor, as far as I'm concerned. Governments meet their COP26 methane pledge. You see, this is what it's really about. It is about their obligations to some international entity. And they claim somehow, again, think about how warped this is, that by doing this, which I promise you they're going to have to pay for as farmers, somehow makes them more profitable. Well, it all comes back to the same point. The cows are better, are healthier, and they make more money. Why? Well, because they can track everything about them. I don't believe that actually translates as best they think it does. There's no change in feeding, rumination, or interaction with their herd. Really? I mean, are really going to pretend that this is not in some way going to affect their feeding, their breathing, anything about it? Like, what happens if it suddenly glitches out? They're not going to be able to breathe properly. Like, there's so many possible things in this that add, that make this impossible. But they don't want, they just, you know, nothing changes. It's perfectly, it's, this is theoretical. Climate scientists have declared now the methane mo- moment, whatever that means, whatever climate scientists truly are. Of course, we have the collaborators, good word for it, but it's a bunch of gigantic food conglomerates. You know, the ones that care about your health, <laughs> obviously, with all of their GMOs and all their garbage and cargills and all these gigantic, you know, insurmountable companies that are faceless and mindless. But of course, the main point, traceability, 24-7 automated monitoring, right? I mean, why does that make sense? Why is that necessary? Because this is a stepping stone, guys offers traceability features. You get the insights that make you more profitable. So the bottom line is you not only need to have every single cow have one of these probably expensive devices, you have to have the infrastructure to manage that, I would argue. Otherwise, I mean, unless, well, that that's possible. Either way, though, you need to upgrade to a technological direction, which then means that can then be monitored from outside parties. But the point is that this is not how a lot of people want to engage with this process. But it doesn't matter because you're being forced by outside parties because of an international obligation to something you don't even agree with. Heat detection, feed monitoring, breeding optimization, efficiency metrics. And this is the same direction they're going with you. And you may not think that's true. You may be shaking your head if you don't believe. It's If you just listen to them, they're telling you, and it's exactly the same. Monitoring your heartbeat, making sure you're everything, health, internally, your interactions with people, making sure you're keeping your mind. All of this stuff has been openly discussed. And we'll get to it at the end of the show if you want to stay tuned. Anyway, I just actually couldn't believe this is actually happening. This is blowing my mind for how crazy this thing, this has gotten. But we're there. Now think about how this kind of woke mindset, if you want to call it that, which is fair enough to me. I mean, I I remember when people were talking about awake, right? And that was early on in the, the truth movement, whatever you want to call that. Where people were just going, oh, yeah, he's awake. He understands. He sees the governments are lying. He sees the two-party paradigm. She understands the war machine. That was awake. And then, of course, like every other thing that begins to show people the truth, it gets co-opted. And then it becomes woke and gets turned into something completely ridiculous and arbitrary and pro-government, except they don't say that on the surface, but everything they do is completely pro-authoritarian control over your life. But woke is a valid thing to talk about because it is an agenda, and it's bigger than one side of the parties. But getting into the SVB discussion, you can see, comparing it to something like this, how, you know, woke politics 
and and business. Further, you could argue just woke and business don't really line up. But when you understand that they're being driven by things like ESG and sustainable development goals and really and obviously put those things above the interests of the company and you. Well, because these people, if they're not in the know, are completely brainwashed to the idea that if we don't do this now, we're all going to die in 30 seconds. So you can understand why they might do that. And that's not somehow removing accountability. But you can understand why people that are being swayed and manipulated would under, would would feel like we have to do that. That's why you have companies out there that are selling you things while undermining their own profit model by saying you're a bad man that likes aggressive things. But here, take buy my men's shaving cream. It's really stupid. We've seen this everywhere, and there is an agenda around this. So talking about the SVB bank, there's a big argument about how that might have played a factor, and I think it's a fair thing to ask. First of all, let's go through the basics of what this conversation is, and at the latter part of this segment, we'll talk about the woke overlap, and you can decide for yourself whether you think it played a, a factor on what happened. Personally, I think this is more, I mean, I, I do think it played a factor. But I do think it's also more about allowing this kind of mindset so that these things implode, so that it can be justified for the future to be reimagined or however you want to look at it. I know for a lot of people that seems a little abstract, but we're watching it happen, guys. We are watching these things happen in front of us. Now, here, here is SVB Financial on March 6th. Like, really let that sink in. March 6th. We're talking six days ago. Proud to be on Forbes' annual ranking of America's best banks. For, mind you, the fifth straight year. So in the matter of six days, one of the top banks, according to Forbes, can just collapse because they're doing so well? I mean, there's only a few ways you can take this. Either they're lying about this because, you know, whatever you can fill in the blank, or it doesn't really... the, 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 the what is the best ranking for banks as far as the establishment is concerned has really nothing to do whether it's a, a functional business that's actually keeping your interest in mind. But really about profit for the shareholder, how, you know, what, however these individual banks work, because it's different depending on what bank we're talking about. But how can it be possibly six days ago, one of the best banks in the world that suddenly becomes bankrupt? Let that, let that flavor the regulators perspectives the businesses perspectives the media's perspectives of all of these things and how they pretty much just toe the line just like in 2008 until they, they told you right up until things fell apart you're fine everything's great we've never been better collapse that's what happens now here is from uh, this is from the 10th bank regulators see silicon valley bank in largest bank failure since the great recession we're talking about 2008. Now, uh, Bo here points out something interesting. From and a, a site I actually used to look at a lot. I haven't looked in a while. It was from the Organic Prepper. Caught on video, and we'll show you. The FDIC, which was the, uh, just trying to say it incorrectly, the Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation, which we all know of, right? We all know about the company, all those little pictures on every bank counter that says you're insured. Well, it's not really the accurate situation. We're being played just like everything else. And, and it always filters into the direction of the people in power. Always. Power doesn't necessarily mean leadership or, you know, politics. Just people that are that have power over the outcome of policy and your lives. Now, he says this is I'll, I'll go through this clip. It's the actual article and then the videos. But Bo points out in response to a message I started in one of your threads on this topic saying I heard somewhere that they're calling it a bail in. 
which is what we're hearing. And I don't believe that's actually what's happening right now. I think it's gone a different direction. That's not to say this one won't shift or the next one, if that happens, won't be that way. But this is more about kind of trying to understand what is possible and where this direction is going. Using, you know, what's happened in the past, including 2008, including Cyprus, and kind of just theorizing where this seems to be going. And, and then again, making it clear that this is just a foregone conclusion. That the way they've set this up is a guarantee that when, you know, unless um, re- removing all of the arbitrary, artificial things they do to maintain the illusion, that this would collapse tomorrow. And a lot of people will tell you that. Now, let's look first. Oh, and then don't forget that while this is happening, just to show you the absurd nature of, like, Coinbase, by the way, is not, I mean, think about the fact that Coinbase, a, cr- a cryptocurrency exchange, temporarily pauses their own exchange into into USD because the banks were having a problem. How does that even possibly, the whole point, what this to me exposes Coinbase for what it is. The idea that this is even remotely affected other than being able to change it into to USD, which I don't even then know why that makes sense to pause trading. This is exposing the reality of this. There, there, I argue that cryptocurrency, if you feel you want to get into that field, is something that you can do still. Be cautious, because for all we know, all of it's being used against us. But at the end of the day, Coinbase seems like a no-brainer in a negative way. And it says, during periods of heightened activity, conversions rely on USD transfers from the banks that clear during normal banking hours. When banks open on Monday, we plan to recommence conversions. Now, you may think this is just a logical move because they may, may incur more problems by you trying to do so and having other problems. But why would that be on them? This just shows you how Coinbase is completely immersed with the broken system. That's the real point. And they say your assets remain safe and available on chains. Well, you know, I guess that remains to be seen. Because if this is the kind of thing they're willing to do, it doesn't scream trustworthiness as far as I'm concerned. I don't even understand how it's even possible that these kind of things can be paused. Like the stock exchange, when they see a problem, can go pause. That doesn't happen when you want that to happen. It doesn't happen only like we saw that with the GameStop conversation, how these this happens in unjustified ways, almost always, which is just showing you the kind of racket this all is. Now, here is the organic prepper on March 6th, caught on video. You may have seen some of these clips circulating. We're going to show you something like a good portion of this. The FDIC is planning a bail-in with your money. At least that's what they discussed, which as far as I could tell, doesn't seem to be, doesn't seem to be what's actually happening right this moment. But again, it's, not resolved yet, as far as, as far as I can tell. I want to check something really quickly. Is somebody saying that this doesn't look like it's working? Let's see. Just checking the link. But to go in, this as that's loading. No, it loads up. Anyway, apologize for those that are having trouble with the link. I'm not sure why it's not working. But Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation. Now, the bottom line is this is the, the group that's supposed to you know insure your money. And they always give you the nice, comfy, broad statement that, oh, you're completely insured, right? You know something happens, don't worry, FDIC's got you covered. Well, that's not actually true. Now, there's a big important statement to make right out of the gate of all of this, is that what we're told, and I say that for a reason, is that anything under $250,000 is what is generally is covered. And anything over that is what would be used in the concept of a bail-in, different than a bailout, whereas the government would bail out these banks. And we saw we saw that, which, by the way, you really need to understand that even with a bailout, you still tax dollar money going to give them money, which we saw in 2008, where the banks then just gave themselves bonuses and didn't actually save or help anything. 
And that just went along like it was completely, which was most likely the plan. And we were lied to about it. Always be rather, always rather be seen as incompetent than criminal. But in a bail-in, we're talking about taking money that is in the bank, or rather the, the deposits or the, as they see debt, which we'll get into in a minute, and using that, which comes from you. But they argue only above if people above $250,000. But my problem with this is that looking at, at past discussions, that doesn't really seem to line up with what we've seen, as well as the fact that should the entire thing collapse, I don't think it matters. Right? This is only under the concept that this is somehow saved. Like if the system falls apart, I don't think it matters. But these are my takes. Come to your own conclusions as always. The point here is tell, it's breaking these things down the same point about, you know, the way this is supposed to work, the standard. Now it says, if the bank fails, the FDIC covers the balance of a depositor's account up to the insurance limit. So we know what it's supposed that how it's supposed to work and how it's worked up until now. But it says back in the early 90s, there were 37 major banks in the U.S. That number is now down to four, which is just wildly concerning and shows you how this has continued to concentrate. Citibank, J.P. Morgan, Bank of America, Wells Fargo. Some interesting points about Wells Fargo in a minute and all and, and all of these banks, for that matter, seeing as every single one of these main four. Her point is that if one of them go down, they all go down. All of us. The point is that every one of these banks is at the bottom of the list. I'll show you in a minute about what an SVB was number 20. SVB just just went down. These four are ranked at the very, very bottom of the list. Now, what does that show you? I'll make sense of that more in a second. But ultimately, it shows you that these things are artificially held up. It says at all of this risk, it's being done with your money. We're going to talk about fractional reserve banking. I have a clip from Ron Paul talking about this as well. Now, if you don't understand the basic concept, just to make it very simple, at one point, it was you deposit money. I mean, you go back as far as you want. Really, the point is you deposit gold and get some kind of paper receipt. And that can be exchanged as money because it well, it's proven the bank has the the gold. And eventually, when they removed the gold standard, that just became well, it's backed on credit debt from the government, which is one you know a huge step in the wrong direction. That's fiat currency. But the point is, is the fractional reserve banking is where we got to today, or a long while, a long time ago. But the point is today, that's what's happening. Where they, the banks, you deposit a hundred dollars. $90 of that gets used, loaned out, processed. I mean, they're basically using your money, the bank, like a big casino. Now, that's why you go in there and not everybody can take their money out at once. They have a small percentage. I bet you weigh less than they tell you, and that's what we're seeing today, than what they're supposed to. Now, that's not actually what caused this problem today. I'm going to play you a really great, great video, at least as I understand it, about what actually went down and why this really doesn't have anything to do with the run on the banks before this happened. The reason is, I think, arguably, potentially their policies, maybe woke policies, that tr allowed them to basically focus on the wrong things, which is kind of the point. Either way, fractional reserve banking, it's a scam. We're scammed, and the, our, arguably is the reason that this has always happened, and they know that. And all they do is just keep getting bailed out by people in charge. And you take the brunt of that. Nobody went to jail in 2008. As she writes, they literally ruined the lives of tens of thousands of people. Those in charge, the ones who chose to the risks to take, laughed all the way to their tax shelters in the Cayman Islands, and nobody will be held accountable this time either. Now, remember, in 2008, it was a bailout. But, of course, the point was, if you were in that bank, well, you lost everything anyway. So in the process of a bail-in, 
The argument would be that it's supposed to be kind of to save the bank, but ultimately you use the money there and potentially get stock or some kind of exchange out. But the, if the bank is failing, is that what you signed up for? Is that what you thought would happen? It says because what they're doing is illegal. It was all legalized or is legal. Excuse me. It was all legalized by our Congress. And she says, you know, the folks that are supposed to represent our best interest. I don't think that's ever the reality, but it's also a global problem too. Now, the interesting thing, the shocking thing is that $8.2 trillion is not insured by the FDIC. It amounts to 1.26% of all the money is actually insured. That's it. The rest of it falls above the 250000 threshold for insurance. Now, that may make the average person feel better. But again, my point is I don't actually think that's how this will translate, assuming this doesn't go down entirely, and you still would lose everything, I would argue. Now, Greece, as I've talked about in the past, came within days in 2015 of having all accounts with 8,000 euro or more trimmed by 30%, euphemistically called a haircut. This is there's oh, this has been going on a long time around the world, guys. And I, we, I, about Cyprus in particular, I wrote an article about this way back then trying to call this out. The Bank of Portugal funded bail-ins of senior bondholders with deposits accounts in 2016. That's your money. And nearly everyone who has been watching the economy for long, looked on in horror when Cyprus raided all accounts overnight to fund a bail-in in in 2012. That's my point. That didn't seem to follow some kind of argument. Now, again, not the United States, but the point is that there are uh, standards, metrics, or or processes laid out for this. And it's really just up up to these trustworthy people in the banking industry to decide how that goes forward. Now, of course, you could talk about accountability afterward, but how did 2008 work? Proving that governments could and would help themselves to the people, the money of the people. Now, there's something called a DIF, a deposit insurance fund, that's used to insure your balance. So remember how we, how we have $9.9 trillion of insured funds. Well, the, the DIF only has one, uh, it's $124.458 billion as per the FDIC report linked above. And you can read it for yourself. Again, that's only 1.26% of the money. So the point is, what happens when everything goes, as she writes, sideways at once? The main collapse. 1.26%, or none, really. You will be, it's, she writes, you will be covered if you have an excess of 250000 in the bank. And they write, in a bail-in scenario, financial institutions would only use the amount of deposits that are in excess of that amount. But in reality, once the FDIC is out of money, how will you be covered at all? You see, this is sort of a setup under the assumption that this whole thing can't collapse, but that's not reality. FDIC bankers openly discuss the potential of a bail-in. We'll play this for you next. They talk about the strategic options open to the FDIC, making moves over the weekend, and also mention the 40 million accounts they have to dip from, quote, at the time of resolution. So let's watch this. Now, remember, this is... In 2022, at the end of 2022. And again, I'll I'll tell you right now that what seems to be happening at the moment so far does not seem to align with what this is talking about, but that's yet to be seen. So let's let's take a look at some of these clips. I got a few things I want to show that I think are interesting here. Now, the first one, get the time lined up is what he says right in the beginning. I actually find this kind of hard to believe. And you can even see, I thought about using this as the main picture today, you can even see the guy sitting next to him react in a way that's like, that was a bad thing to say. But check this out. 
get larger. So we're a little bit cramped, but I hope you bear with us. We we wanted to. Uh, well, you're making a joke about how the FDIC is getting so much bigger. It makes you great, great, right? More governments, more, more, you know, bloated government. But the guy on the right, watch the way he responds when he comments about how somebody who used to be on one side of the game is now on the other working with them and what he calls him. To take advantage of it. Um, let me begin by introducing some of the new members who have joined us. Um, uh, Tim Clark, who is the uh, Distinguished Senior Banking Advisor at Better Markets, and some of you may know him as the former Deputy Director of Supervision and Regulation at the Federal Reserve. Oh, great. So he's at the non-governmental body of the Federal Reserve, and now he's coming over to be on the FDIC. Now, you may not think that's a problem, but I don't like the way that, but watch the, watch the way he responds about who he is and what he is to them, and watch the guy on the right, the way he responds. Uh, Tim was a uh, definitely a partner in crime with us. It was really our partnership with Tim and the Fed that allowed us to make the Title I resolution plans into a right there. meaningful tool yeah. for us to use. Right there. You can see that, that, that's, not, that's not something you can ignore. Just want to point that out. This guy was like, that was wrong. Now, is that because it's just going to be misinterpreted? Possibly. But I just think it's an interesting statement. A lot of these people don't think these things are going to be seen. And especially the point is, <clears throat> specifically the FDIC in this meeting, you'll they don't they, somebody made a great comment about this. Ultimately, these people are acting like this is not going to be seen. Maybe it's because they believe that most people don't have the time to look at this stuff, which is usually the case. But they talk about this like this is kind of something they're internally discussing, but they don't want us to know because it might freak people out. That's what we're going to get into next. So I just think it's interesting. You may, they may just act with impunity because they're so used to that. I don't know. Either way, I just think that's a perfect little snapshot of the group we're dealing with. Next point, 635. Tremendous synergies among those three functions and the importance of close collaboration and integration between supervision and resolution is really fundamental to an effective resolution process. We want to talk about our work from that perspective. In the second session, we're going to focus on our two key resolution priorities, our ongoing work uh, for systemic resolution under Title II of the Dodd-Frank Act and our utilization of the uh, Orderly Liquidation Authority. And we're going to focus in particular on our work around increasing transparency and how we think about Title II resolution and communicating with financial markets as well as the public to try to establish better understanding of what we do. And that is really not a simple task, as you all probably understand better than most. So we want to talk about that issue. So that's, that's, I just want to hear you guys to hear what this is and what it pertains to. And I have these here. I'm not going to get into it in depth, but if you want to understand this <clears throat> and read more about it, the Dodd-Frank, this, this is post-2008. It was uh, Wall Street reform. Yeah, that really worked out. And consumer, it, it's a complete scam. I mean, whether, whether this, either this was, I haven't read this in its entirety, but I, can, I know of things that I have gone over. The point is you can read in any legislation, this in particular, where there are things you can go, yep, right there. That's going to be abused. That's going to be lied about. That's an easy hole right there they're not talking about. Bottom line is either it's like that entirely or it's just not even, not even being used. In, enforced rather 
Either way, the point is, yes, they did pass the Dodd-Frank Wall Street Reform and Consumer Protection Act, and it was passed by U.S. Congress in response to something they then allowed at that time, and they're allowing again now, ever since 2008 forward. It requires the CFTC to conduct a number of studies and reports on a wide variety of issues that affect the derivatives market in order to make the U.S. financial system safer for consumers and taxpayers. How'd that work out? <laughs> Clearly, like, and, and you may, for those that don't see the writing on the wall and have for, haven't for a while, they may think this is just an isolated event. The truth is it's not. And it's very clear. It does not then mean it's absolutely going to see some big collapse, right? I mean, I'm just, my point is that it's it's there. And it, the, my point about framing this as the impending collapse today is not even just about this one example. It is about where this is going. The transition to CBDCs or cent, central bank, yeah, CBDCs and where that and how that's going to happen. They they, are the, they themselves openly talk about some kind of a, you know, an event to to catalyze this next direction. That's what we're talking about. So the, the truth is that this was never changing anything. And I've made this point before. Post-2008, it's easy to look up. Every single main metric or whatever you want to call it that they can point out about why 2008 was allowed to happen. Every one of them. There's like a top 10 you can look up, right? Every single one of those things, not, not only did they not stop after 2008, like right afterward, but they got exponentially larger immediately. And that just kept going. So you're going to tell me that people in Congress and government and regulators saw every single thing we can acknowledge as being the reasons 2008 happened, continue to happen and get larger, and nothing happened about that? It's just as simple as it gets, guys. This is being allowed to happen, probably for a reason. Here is the uh, the Title II discussion, if you want to look through this in its entirety, talking about under Title II, the Dodd-Frank Act. That's what we're dealing with today. And then specifically, the orderly liquidation authority. Now, I went through these. I'm not going to really focus on it today, but those are there if you want to dive deeper and understand how they're operating, under what authority, and what they're talking about, and how they want to do this. Now, the next one is 146.32. And then... And this gets into what they're actually talking about in regard to when this happens. And think of it, this is this was November 2022. Interesting timing. Similarly, um, operational continuity is a challenge as they have uh, relationships with um, foreign affiliates, with the parent in terms of shared services, shared data, shared personnel, those sorts of things. All right, so slide 16. Um, these are some of the unique challenges that we see um, from a resolution perspective um, when considering uh, large banks and um, would be interested to hear um, from the committee if, if um, these are the right considerations or if there's others that, that we should be focused on. I'll, I'll quickly step through them. Um, you know, here we're distinguishing large bank resolution both from GSIB resolution under Title II, um, but also from the resolution of ordinary uh, community banks. And in a way, they, they combine a lot of the, the toughest challenges of each, plus the burden of high expectations. I think everybody's going to remember the challenges with failing SIFIs um, from the global financial crisis. But um, for uh, large banks, the expectations are probably closer to um, the failure of an ordinary bank that the FDIC tends to handle routinely and, and swiftly. Um, so just starting the, the challenges box, the first few here, generally speaking, relate to um, strategic options, and the latter get into operational challenges just in carrying out the resolution. Um, but obviously, as touched on already, just from the standpoint of capacity, um, the uh, capital and operational resources that would be needed, there are very few um, institutions that could acquire a large bank. Um, and it'll be especially difficult 
um, uh, at the time of failure on a, a compressed timeline. Um, there's no minimum loss absorbency requirement for these institutions. Some of them do have long-term debt that could absorb losses, but there's no requirement. And that means that there could be increased uh, costs and um, it could limit the strategic options available to the FDIC, particularly if the depositor class is impaired, um, you know, franchise value might be destroyed. And it might make it harder for um, bridge and sale strategies to pass the least cost test. Um, they don't have a debt structure that supports a single point of entry type of resolution that's sometimes contemplated um, for these institutions. Um, but um, without that structure there, that means entry at the IDI, which is, you know, for these institutions, a very complex operating company. If we're using a bridge, that means that over the weekend, it, it'll involve the transfer of thousands of employees and a wide array of you know, services, assets, and contracts to that bridge institution over the weekend. Um, I've, I've noted the challenges with operational continuity in addition to, you know, um, um, some services being outside the, the, the bank itself. Um, they also just haven't fully addressed the impediments to um, maintaining operational continuity and resolution. That's now, it's clear that they're aware of, of what we're talking about. And the point is, you can go back to this and discuss what will essentially be the, the operational plan in regard to when this will be executed. And this is where they discuss it right here. Uh, and um, how will the FDIC oversee what's happening at the bridge and maintain that for a public confidence perspective as well? We're thinking about creditors. Uh, how do you communicate with claimants, including about their claims determination? Uh, how, how will the losses be allocated on the Dodd-Frank hierarchy, which is different than um, under FDI Act how, and under bankruptcy? And then how will the claimants be, be compensated how does securities for claims process work? We mentioned that in the 2013 uh, thing that um, that Betsy mentioned earlier. We're also wondering if we need to be more transparent about um, some of the accountability mechanisms that that we have as well the, for the general public audience. You know, we are required to remove culpable management. Um, how would we go about doing that? Uh, do we need to re-emphasize that in the Dodd-Frank hierarchy that compensation claims are subordinated to general creditors and that prior compensation could even be clawed back? If it. Um, and then finally, there's the funding mechanism. Um, you know, what part of that would be most helpful to boost confidence? I do think that the OLF and using it is the big the big uh, gift. <laughs> it's, not a, it's not a gift, but uh, the big tool that we need in uh, title two to help provide confidence, but what do people need to know to really to really get that? Um, you know, how important is it to explain the rules and the mechanics for the OLF? You know, how money will get from point A to point B? Why is it even up to dispute? Like, why wouldn't it be primary to make sure that you understand the process about how your money will be dealt with in this problem when the bank is the one at fault? I just it's it just it's inherent that at, today one of the main things you'll continue to see is that they think you're dumb. They think you are too stupid to understand the reality and that you'll be scared away like that. You're just some you know scared little rabbit that's going to flee the moment that you and that they just they, they water it down and they lie to you for your best interest. And some of them actually may believe that. But the people above them know that the real point is to keep you in the dark regardless. Either way, I just blows my mind. And the part about the day is very relevant. How would we use targeted guarantees to allay concerns about excess cash use? There's a lot of questions here. Um, and so, you know, there, there are a lot of things we've been thinking about. And what we want to hear from you today is what, your, what you think would the priorities would be 
in order to go about setting expectations appropriately in public about how we would execute Title II. So that if and when we do have to have that announcement on on Friday night, ideally Friday night, um, that people are in a position to receive it, understand it, and say, yeah, that works. Um, and we can see how this will happen. Of course, there will be doubters, but there's a lot of things going on. Great. <clears throat> so uh, it was that was that this Friday? Right. I mean, at the end of the day, what, the problem here is that th this is not something that on the surface is transparent. Right. Why wait till Friday? Right. Because we're because then it's over the weekend and then that's what can happen now where you don't have access to these things. And you're left wondering. The bottom line is that this is November 2022 and you're talking about this as if it hasn't been outlined yet. Why all of a sudden? And why is this like it just this seems unaccountable in a very nice way to put it. But here we are on Sunday. What's going to happen tomorrow? I guess we're left to see. Now, in no way am I trying to scare people. I've al always been arguing that the right thing to do is not have your money in a bank. If you want to understand where I'm at, I, I have a bank. You have to have a bank to uh, in engage in the way that a business runs today, which is unfortunate. I hate it. However, and I, again, even right now, even with concerns, I, I have that some stuff still in the bank. But the reality is that the majority of what I either need personally or business-wise, whatever else, is not. Because I'm not ridiculous. I'm not going to leave the majority of what I have in the hands of a group of criminals. But you need to. So for those that may be like rushing to remove everything as fast as possible, like it's up to you. Now, I, I, I really don't even care about the concept of a run on the banks because the reason that's even a problem is because of the broken system. Now, yes, there will be some problems there. If that happens, people will be hurt by that. But that's not your fault for wanting to get your money out of the bank. That's what they're trying to frame this, that you're being irresponsible or rushing into the bank. That's ridiculous. It's your money. You could do what you want with it. The problem is that they have allowed a system which dictates that. And then all of a sudden you become the bad guy for trying to do what you want in a situation they created. The problem is that the bailout that happened last time only allowed this to continue. So right now people are going, oh, no, we can't do it again. We can't bail in or bail out or, or rather we can't allow it to collapse because it'll have a cascading effect. Yeah, probably true. But I argue that's much better and logic, smarter direction than allowing this same problematic situation that they put a rainbow veneer over to continue, even though it's actually the very thing that's keeping people enslaved. Like, that's the thing we need to think about. I'm not arguing that we should allow negative things to happen to people, but that's nobody, the negative things happen to people by virtue of being trusting a broken system and so on. The reality is we should go in a direction that's honest and suffer the consequences that we allowed ourselves to be you know, to fall under, like, because this is the thing. It's about apathy. It is about this sleepwalking mentality we've had for a long time, allowing this to even be put in place. But I do think that ultimately what we need to do, get into the next part, is understand that these people don't have your interests in mind. As much as they want to say that, as much as they want to appear that way, my opinion, I should rather say, is that what's really important is maintaining the system. Now, they may believe that is what's best for you, but that's quite a dispute, isn't it? It's quite. A, I, I just think that's absolutely the exact opposite. Now, here is another video also by, from, um, actually, here, let's go back to this real quick. So it'll, I'll read what, just what she wrote, and then we'll finish with the last video on this segment. They talked about keeping it from everyone who does not have a professional need to know. A bank run would certainly hasten the collapse. So the idea is that, well, the bank run might happen if we let them know what's actually going on. So therefore, the argument is we don't tell them because not telling them is in their best interest. Do you think that? Is, that that's only because in their mind, if they think that, your best interest is maintaining the system. 
But it's not the case. Your best interest is making sure your interests are safe, not hurting your interest to maintain everybody else's safety. That's the whole, you know, we got to take another chin for Ukraine. Like all these arguments they make today are about some kind of collectivist mindset. It says, you can see the part I'm talking about here in the video. I'll play it next. It's chilling how calmly these people discuss the imminent danger and how to keep people from wigging out about it. She writes at the bottom, the fact that strategies are being put into place to do so should be a giant clanging warning bell right in your ear to do the same things that happen in Greece and elsewhere. Start looking at options other than a savings account or a retirement fund. Now, precious metals is one example. The point is, yes, I know that's not the ideal and the same thing I was just talking about. Having a system, having a bank account to be able to put it in, to be used. But the point is having yourself safe somewhere else, whether it's in a actual safe or something like that. It's up to you. I think it's quite obvious that having it, this, this is about as obvious as pre-COVID realizing that you needed food and water stored somewhere which was laughed at. Oh, you stupid conspiracy preppers. And then suddenly when everybody was scrambling for toilet paper, oh man, maybe there was something to, the point is there's always things that come along. Being prepared is just smart. And in this case, where we can see this impending collapse, be prepared. Great article from Dave Daisy Luther from the Organic Prepper. Now here's that last video. And this is the most important part. So they just straight up telling you accessible when people need to know. But I don't think you have much hope of, of reaching a public that doesn't have a professional need to know. I, I completely agree with that. I almost think you'd scare the public if you put this out. Like, why are they telling me this? Should I be concerned about my bank? Like, my insurance company doesn't tell me what they're doing with my assets. They just assume they're going to pay my claim. Does that sound right to you? Is that how easy that works? You have an insurance claim and the court insurance pays it. Simple. <laughs> or not. Or the insurance company's entire business model is about doing everything it can and every opportunity to not pay those claims. So yeah, maybe we should know what's going on. I mean, it's just this art, this mindset of sleepwalking under the control of people that are obviously cheating you. The bottom line is, if people had the opportunity to know 2008 was building before it happened, and again, had you been paying attention, it was kind of obvious that you would have been able to do something about it. That's the point. Now, whether or not you doing something about it could lead to a cascading effect that hurts largely the banking system itself is irrelevant. It is about the individual making individual choices with information that matters to them. It's just this, it's just, this is dishonest. I, under a guise of moral, of doing what's right for people. That's the worst of the worst, as you know, I always say. Right. It's, it's, I, I think you've got to think of the unintended consequences of taking a public that has more full faith and confidence in the banking system than maybe people in this room do, <laughs> that we want them to have full faith and confidence in the banking system. They know the FDIC exactly. insurance is there. They know it works. They put their money in. They're going to get their money out. Oh, they think that. Now, so there, there's a select crowd of people that are in the institutional side. And if they want to understand this, they're going to find a way to understand this. There's a bunch of law firms represented in this room. There's a bunch of people that will charge them by the hour a lot of money to explain this all to them. And, and, and it's fine. I don't, have a, I don't have a problem with that. And they all have huge staffs. But I would be careful about the unintended consequences of starting to blast too much of this out in the general public. Okay, to translate that. I would be worried about the unintended consequences of telling people the truth. You just can't miss that. 
Now, you may even agree with that, but you can't stand back and argue that it's honest or the right thing to withhold the truth from people when it has their money, when it has to do with their money or in general. I just I'm, I'm done with playing the game of equivocation here where they argue it's a greater good or the wrong. All of this is being used against us, even if you agree with it. Because these people don't care about you. How many times do we need to see this before we realize that even the, that pe even with valid arguments, these people are playing you? Whether there are some market tests of whether you're being heard. And I think about TLAC. So TLAC should spread, should respond to good and bad news about the institutions and it's really important i mean it's a little bit conflicted right i mean it's important that people understand they can be bailed in but you don't want a huge run on the institution but they have i mean they're going to be that's and and it could be an early warning signal to the fdic and the primary regulators when these things happen and there may be some other prices this is uh, similar to what jay was saying in the market that you can tell whether people understand how the who's going to be protected, who isn't going to be protected. It would be, I think, an interesting study to look at the evolution of market prices in a situation like March of 2020, for example, and see whether people understood what might happen. I, I'd like to go back to, to some of Dick's early comments. I do think it is hard to get a lot of demand for transparency right now in this in this sort of period of peacetime. But that is going to flip, and it's going to flip probably <laughs> peacetime. <laughs> My God, even faster than we saw in 2008, where the need for communications really quickly in the social media world uh, to avoid disinformation to have some holding patterns for wow. things like I remember in the early days of bail-in, people saying they're coming for my deposits, right? So just holding just holding communications that you can pull out that are helpful to deal with disinformation, some very simple things. Can you believe they're actually talking about disinformation when you're th these people in this room are very aware of what actually happened? Are you really going to pretend? That you, so the disinformation they're talking about were people trying to tell you that the economists on TV were wrong and then they got shown to be right. That they did that they were wrong. They were lying or they didn't even know any better. However, it worked. Obviously, it collapsed. So, I mean, just think about that mindset. These people are trying to maintain control. Now, again, they may think to themselves that maintains what's best for you. I just don't buy that. Now, here's the point about the banks themselves. This is Forbes 2023. This is what they were showing on SV SVB Bank on the, March 6th, praising themselves and going, look again, we were on Forbes top banks five years straight. Okay, this is from February 14th, 2023. Just skip to the point. It says right here, all four. All four, and again, just to make it clear, after this list was published on February 16th, SVB Financial Group, Silicon Valley Bank, collapsed and was placed under FDIC control. February 16th. On March 10th, due to a bank run prompted by fears about its its interest rate exposure. I The point, I ask yourself why this is only now even being discussed, really, like in a larger way. But all four trillion dollar banks, the big ones, all of them we just listed off, are at our lag in the bottom third of the list, including, of course, Wells Fargo. So your main four banks that are that are the all four of them are on the the very bottom of the list. Well, whereas the one that literally just collapsed is number twenty, above those, rated above them.
So ask how they're rating these things and how that even possibly makes sense. This is a scam. Now, a bail-in, just so we understand it again, is basically what we just described, provides relief to a, to a bank on the brink of failure by requiring the cancellation of debts. Now, this is the interesting part. The debts are you. Where did I have that in here? There's an article. Oh, that's right. It's right coming up next. Which is really interesting to me. Now, this shifted a while back. The idea being that your money, when you put in your bank, when you think it's there, I put my bank, I got money in the bank, right? Well, the moment that money goes in the bank, it instantly gets used elsewhere, and it's not there. That's why they consider it a debt, right? Your money comes in, they now owe you that money. That's a debt. How in the world that even makes sense to people to think of it that way? It shows you how they're playing this game. And the only things they have on their, that are considered, you know, not debt are not the only thing, but the point in the counterbalance, I'll let the expert explain in a moment, is the money they're then loaning out using your money, right? So then that can, that's considered, you know, a, a debt to them. So that can, that's the balance between those two things is how it's basically their equity. And at the end of the day, what we're talking about at a bail-in, we're talking about a point where they're taking the money, arguably over $250,000, which again, I don't think that's actually as sound as we think it is, from the people's money in the bank to save the bank, essentially, as opposed to taking government money, which is still taxpayer money, and using that to so they can pay themselves bonuses, which is ultimately what happened in 2008. Either way, this does not make sense to me. Now, here, let me update this in case it changed, is the current halt trading halts as of March 12th today. Now, you'll notice SVB Financial Group on the 10th, which, again, I just think it's crazy like how, this, how, they're, how they can do this. But you now have this one, which is interesting. Now, I'm not sure if this is necessarily relevant, but same re- code reasoning. Now, what this appears to be <clears throat> is it's called Colonnade Acquisition Core, and it's a blank check company incorporated for the purpose of affecting a merger, share exchange, asset acquisition, share purchase, reorganization, or similar business combination with one or more businesses with favorable growth prospects. That one right now has been... That's been halted. Trading's been halted on this group. Now, this is not a, a giant, this is acquisitions, like the, this feels like one of these kind of dark banks that's essentially just behind the scenes, like a BlackRock kind of a thing. Now, this being halted is really interesting to me. I'm, I'm, I'm surprised we haven't seen more, but I'm concerned about a cast, the effect this might have on other things and where that goes. Either way, I find that interesting. Here is, the, the, I wrote this in 2015, the confiscation scheme. Henry Ford quote, it's, it is well enough that people of the nation do not understand our banking and monetary system for if they did, I believe there would be a revolution before tomorrow morning. Well, that's very prescient. Now it says a joint paper by the U S federal deposit insurance company. This, this article's in regard to Cyprus, the FDIC, a joint paper by the FDIC and the bank of England dated December 10th, 2012 shows that these plans have been long in the making the idea of the bail-in concept. They originated with the G20 Financial Stability Board in, in Basel, Switzerland, and that the result will be to deliver clear title to the banks of depositor funds. Now, a person's savings are no longer considered a deposit, but instead a debt that the bank owes the client. Incrementally, you've seen these shifts, and we always should have been paying attention. Many are unaware that once the, the, once uh, one decides to deposit funds into the bank, legally, those funds are thereafter the property of the bank. The bank then owns the funds and the depositor becomes an unsecured creditor holding on an IOU. However, until recently, the bank was required 
to pay back the money as cash on demand. Under the new FDIC Bank of England plan, all IOUs will be converted into bank equity, which means in the event of another emergency, like possibly right now, the bank will get the money and the depositor will get bank stock, effectively putting the responsibility for the risky actions of the private banking institutions squarely on the shoulders of the hardworking American public. Now, the whole 250000 barrier might play a factor here. And whether or not this happened, again, we've seen that not happen in past examples, like with Greece. But at the end of the day, or, or this example right here, it's interesting to see how this could be played. And I think there's a lot of loopholes to how this can be abused. The bottom line is this whole system is, is designed to benefit the institutions. And there's way, and this is why we've talked about groups like Wells Fargo willfully breaking the law on the surface and just paying out a fine. It's the cost of doing business. They understand that now. They operate as such. As it says here, if these IOUs are converted into bank stock, they will no longer be subject to FDIC insurance protection, but will be at risk and vulnerable to be wiped out, just as the Lehman Brothers shareholders were in 2008. Now, there is likely things that have shifted since then. A lot happens from 2015 to 2023. And what they're talking about today is what we should be really focusing on. But either way, we've watched these steps and how this has been used against us. Thomas Jefferson said, I sincerely believe that banking establishments are more dangerous than standing armies. If only we could have paid attention. Now here, I'm not familiar with his work, but I found this to be very insightful and it's very simple to under, very easy to understand. Peter St. Ange, PhD. Now take a listen to what he has to say about this. And this is in regard to the exact breakdown of this, of, of what just happened and why it happened in a simple way. So you've probably heard about this Silicon Valley bank going under and now there's speculation whether the FDIC is going to step in and bail them out and also whether there's going to be spreading contagion to the banking system. So just very briefly, what happened here is that normally a bank has your deposits and those deposits from the bank's perspective are debt. Okay. And then the bank also has loans that it put out. So in the case of Silicon Valley Bank, and these are rough numbers just to kind of give a picture. So in their case, they had something like 210 billion in deposits, and then they had more than that in loans. So something like 230, all right? That would then give something like a $20 billion gap. Now that gap is called their equity, okay? So if they had 230 in loans out, okay, in other words, in assets, and only 210 in deposits, then that 20 billion, you divide that by the 210, and they'd have something like a 9%. Uh, equity ratio. So you would say, okay, good. They're in business. They're worth more than their debts. Just really quickly, my perspective on this in a simple way, we get explained this stuff from people like, the, you know, whether from the bank's perspective, whether they have negative intentions or not, they're just playing the system as it is. What we're dealing with is an inherently dishonest system. Like this is, it's, this is like, we are, are all being forced to engage with a Ponzi scheme. And yeah, you can still get you can make money in a Ponzi scheme. You could take money out. And the point is, though, it's 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 fraud. This is a manipulation on the surface. Yeah, and they take time to try to explain all these different things to you, and people just go, "Ah, oh, well, it's confusing." And that's probably the point. At the end of the day, though, this entire system is built on fraud, lies, manipulation. Same with the stock market, and it wasn't always like that. But we're at a point now where powerful people with interest to get power over you and control your perspectives and financially and everywhere that have taken advantage of this. It's just as, it's as obvious as it's ever been. The stock market's a great example of plenty of people have pointed out. At one point, you used to buy stock and you actually got stock in a company. 
Now, that may exist in smaller things today, but at the end of the day, if you want to go buy Apple stock right now, you don't own stock in the company. You own a piece of paper that goes up and down in value, or actually not even paper these days, but you own something that goes up and down in value based on whether or not people are buying stock, whether the stock goes up in value. That's a pond, that, that is a pyramid scheme. You don't actually have any value other than whether more people come in to buy stock. I mean, this is on the surface. And this is the same thing we're seeing in these systems, that we are being played. Now, what happened is that a lot of their holdings were in long government bonds, meaning government bonds that go like 20 years. And over the past year, those government bonds have lost value, okay, because interest rates have come up so quickly. So what that meant is that rather than being at, you know, 230 billion in assets and something like uh, 210 in deposits, the assets came down. So now there's something like 200 billion. All right. So at that point, they are bankrupt. They're out of business. Now, what happened or what what the sort of, uh, you know, bank champions are trying to push is they wanted the government to step in and essentially rehouse Silicon Valley Bank by passing it over to one of the major banks on Wall Street. Which is what appears to be happening, if I understand it correctly. But you guys, let me know when, you get, when we get to that, that uh, Forbes or, or Bloomberg article. And so that's the big contention. That's what the, the Wall Street banks uh, presumably would have preferred. They could have picked up this you know, reckless bank for a song. But in fact, now a lot of people are worried that the government missed their chance to do that and that at this point, there's going to be more contagion. Now, the question I think for a lot of people at this point is, is this going to spread, right? Is this going to bring down the entire banking system? And the issue here is how unique was Silicon Valley Bank? So Silicon Valley Bank was very widely respected. It was a prestige bank in Silicon Valley. You sort of hadn't made it until you had an account at Silicon Valley Bank. And in fact, they would blow off small depositors, right? So if you were like a brand new startup and you reach out to Silicon Valley Bank, their attitude would be, eh, you're small fry, come back when you're bigger. And, and we can prove that they also led on the surface, on the front, with a woke mindset, with an ESG, sustainable development goals, climate change mindset, which means that they likely turned down business that was associated with people that they didn't agree with. Which can easily under, which would then seemingly explain why they would like. Arguably, if they didn't do that, there's if they're if you're turning down business, which would have made a difference in regard to the the balance we were just talking about. You could at least make the argument that by turning down business that would have otherwise changed that that you made a choice to put woke politics over success. Just this is an argument being made to consider it for yourself. That means that almost. None of Silicon Valley's deposits are actually covered by the FDIC, right? The FDIC is the government sort of bank insurance program that covers your bank account if your bank fails. They only go up to 250000 Almost all of the money at Silicon Valley Bank, which is on the order of $210 billion, almost none of that would be covered by that little tiny slice there. So by, by not accepting the smaller ones, they've kind of allowed a situation by, where everybody there is not covered. It's kind of an interesting situation, which people are, I was reading something about these like high level Silicon Valley founders out there, like stop, like stop bounding on the door of the bank. Like just an interesting thing to see these millionaire billionaires out there who suddenly went broke because the bank collapsed, who are just, you know, upset with the bank. It's interesting development. Right. So there are a lot of Silicon Valley companies now where they can't 
if this doesn't get resolved quickly, then they can't make payroll. They're going to go under. Some of those companies are web 3.0 startups that do payment processing. This is interesting. Okay, so then you get this cascade effect where any company that's relying on them is now in trouble as well. And then, of course, the wider issue here is that what brought Silicon Valley Bank down, it, yes, it's true that they're in, you know, they're in Silicon Valley. They've got a lot of tech customers. Tech has been hurting recently. But the underlying problem, right, what caused that you know, 230 to go to 200, that was almost all from government bonds losing their value. So you could make an argument that this was executed, possibly. And so this is going to be true for every bank in America to more or less extent. So Silicon Valley Bank might have gone first. It might have been the weakest gazelle on the savannah because it had all this woke stuff on it. But almost every bank in America is going to have these kinds of risks. And so really, I think there's a good chance that we're at a Lehman moment here, similar to what happened in 2008, where the government has to decide if they're going to bail out a bunch of crony billionaires who've been operating fractional reserve and ripping people off, or are they going to stand back and let it collapse? George W. Bush let Lehman go down. That shocked Wall Street. It scared them. Okay. If regulators don't step in and bail out these cronies, then we could see a pretty frosty week next week. All right. See. So obviously that's you know, part of the story. I mean, obviously Lehman went down, but then then the, they were bailed out regardless. Now, had that not been the case, had they let that cascade, you know, the argument is it would have been a global financial collapse. You know, I, I guess that seems like the logical argument, but would it, you, you ask yourself the question, even if it was that, that large of a problem, would it have been better to have gotten past that and at least attempted to go forward with an honest system than to allow the problem to continue to build? Right. I mean, it's kind of hard not to see that as as the that the problem is bigger now than it ever was. Right. Maybe that's by design. Right. If this if the whole point was government bonds that suddenly shifted to the point to where it caused this thing to happen. Why can't we ask whether or not that was executed to achieve a certain end? Here's Bernie's tweets pointing out after the collapse of SVB. Long lines have formed outside other banks as people are trying to withdraw their cash and run on banks will only make matters far worse, which, again, I don't know why we tow this line. Sure. Of course it might, but how that's irrelevant to me as an individual who's only concerned with my finances and feeding my family, just speaking as anybody out there who's trying to go and get their money before a problem happens. It shouldn't matter whether this, this is that collectivist mindset, whether you have to consider by you doing that, that you might hurt somebody else. Well, I mean, that matters in some context, but not like this where it's abstract and not even for sure. It says, what did the conspiracy theory say about CBDCs? I mean, it's a good point, right? Here, the point is you can just see, her, her point is just that we've been saying this is how this would be executed, right? Someone's in the chat is saying that uh, Yellen has announced they're not bailing out SVB, which there you go. If that's accurate, I'm just only saying that because I can't confirm uh, what, what's been found, but the person in the chat saying that, I would argue they're probably right. This seems the likely direction of where this seems to be going. I'll, I'll do a quick search when we get to the end here about what might have happened thus far, like already. But going forward, you can just see the lines being shown, people out their banks in different locations, kind of waiting out, like not, not even just SVB, but just banks in general. So people are concerned, and rightly so. Now, here is a Tucker clip about this discussion. I wanted to play kind of a couple different perspectives on this. Tucker's clip, I'll play a conversation about how the left thinks stole Trump's fault. Big surprise. Tucker Carlson on the SVB bank collapse. When customers showed up at SVB to branch Manhattan, uh, this was, says today, so I think this was on 
Here, let me do this. Oh, I accidentally hit it. No, let me go here. The 10th is what I thought. Okay, so the 10th, oops. And it says, uh, oh, and this is actually pretty interesting. It says they today they showed up at the branch in Manhattan to get the deposits back. Managers called the police. So understand, this is well past when this has begun. So they don't care about the people, right? I mean, people are there demanding their own money and they're getting the police called on them. What we have here is a 1929 style bank run. Now, even that kind of fear-mongering framing is about, it's almost to scare you away from it or maybe drive it, I don't know. But is that what's happening? Or is it the bank that's created the situation and people have yet to even begun to run to the bank? And that's not a good sign for anyone, he says. But let's watch what his, what his clip says. Trying to get a better, a more precise sense of what it means when Joe Biden brags about the strongest and most equitable economic recovery in modern history. Of course, it's always, you know, Biden, you know, the thing I have issue with in this kind of concept is the idea that, yes, Biden is the president. But the whole argument, I think we understand, is that Biden is barely able to tie his own shoes. But yet when it matters, it's all Biden. Right. And if something happened in Trump's administration, well, it what it's, you know, well, no, it was the, this person there or that person or that that congressman or the military did it without him knowing. Well, the point is, right now, everything happens. It's all Biden's fault. When it's under Trump, there's all these 14 different nuances. The point is, it's all both of their faults. When it was Trump's presidency, he's the leader. He's in charge. Whether it was done without his knowledge or not, he's responsible. Same thing with Biden. We need to get out of the two party mindset here. Now, yes, I will tell you wholeheartedly that I think that what's happening right now is Biden's fault. But my point is, it's there, the way that they frame these things is very manipulative about how it only applies to one side of the paradigm, right? The reason I say Biden's fault is because there has been, and the same thing I would say about Trump, a lot of executive orders, which changes the discussion, doesn't it? Executive orders are not something that goes through bipartisan Congress, but rather a direct statement by the executive branch signed by one person. And that then you have to argue is directly the fault of the one person who signed it. Same thing with Trump, but except it didn't play that way during Trump. You know, in the same way, that the, the right side of the paradigm won't call out Trump. The left side of the paradigm won't call out Biden. I just can't stand how this continues. And we all seem to understand it. It's like, I feel like this, we're going to get into the partisan operatives part. There are a lot of people out there that are keeping just enough people tapped into this illusion for the wrong reasons. Because they want to win, because it's team sport politics, or because they hate one side of the paradigm. The reality is that they're all keeping you divided, all of them. And I think there's an illusion taking place on how they play this, but I'm getting ahead of myself. Let's watch the rest of this clip. What it means is it could be time to buy gold and stockpile food. Oh, there's a deal on Russian steel case? I think I'll pick up a pallet. Just kidding, sort of. Yesterday, some of the biggest banks in this country, Wells Fargo, Bank of America, J.P. Morgan, Morgan Stanley, collectively lost more than $50 billion in market value in one day. That's quite a hit. On the other hand, those banks still exist, and you can't say that for Silicon Valley Bank. As of this morning, Silicon Valley Bank, or SVB, has gone under completely. That makes the second biggest bank failure in the history of this country. And it's significant. SVB financed nearly half of all venture-backed healthcare and technology companies in the United States. It also apparently held significant cash reserves for some of the biggest cryptocurrencies. And now what's interesting there is that seems like the biggest implication about the overlap of the technological field, which seems eerily perfect for where this all seems to be going, right? Suddenly, they tried to do everything they could, but this collapsed all the infrastructure. Now we need to do it better. And that's the technological direction it's going in. Mark the process, the, 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 as they talked about, the, pro, the financial processing, the payment processing, and so on. 
Well, if that fails, well, whoa, guess what? We have a solution. It's now gone. Federal regulators have renamed it and taken it over. And that means an awful lot of people lost an awful lot of money. And no, most of that money was not insured, no matter what they tell you. The FDIC only guarantees bank deposits up to 250000 And according to some reports, more than 90% of all deposits at SVB exceeded that. And it's unclear whether those people ever see their money again. Now, just on a quick note, too, the average person that may think that somebody who's got $251,000 in the bank suddenly is, you know, an elitist or whatever, that's not entirely accurate. I mean, clearly, there's a huge wealth gap that's only gotten crazy much larger since, you know, every year that goes by. But it's I can understand how people might think, well, good, that's all the rich people. But that's, you know, there's a lot of people in that middle ground that are not in this elitist camp or even barely, you know, it, it, it just. I think it's a dangerous thing to, to think in that direction. But either way, I want to reiterate that I don't think that even truly applies for a lot of different things that might happen in regard to you being under that, under that amount and being safe and your money being okay. We, I mean, 2008 showed you that that's not actually the case in regard to bailing or bailout. Really, the idea of it collapses how that actually goes forward. In fact, when customers showed up at SVB's branch in Manhattan today to get their deposits back, Managers called the police. So what we have here is a 1929-style bank run, and that's not a good sign for anyone. The question is whether the people who run SVB saw it coming. The CEO, a man called Greg Becker, apparently sold more than $2 million in bank stock over the last two weeks. And there again is the same thing we continue to see. 2008, COVID-19, the people on the inside know things you don't. And they don't tell you. And that's why they have their meeting in November 2022. And they all go, well, well, we probably shouldn't tell them everything because they'll get scared. But you know what? They get to know when to sell and not lose money. And then they let everything fall apart. And they argue that was for your best interest. According to the site Unusual Whale, several other high-level employees of SVB, including Chief Marketing Officer Michelle Draper, Chief Operations Officer Phil Cox, General Counsel Michael Zuckert, all sold significant amounts of stock in SVB this year. It's so obvious. Did those employees know their bank was in trouble? We don't know. And once again, where were the regulators? We're supposed to prevent this. Once again, we don't know. And that's a fair statement. We don't know. We don't know for sure. I would say you can't prove that. But it's a very obvious thing to think and ask. Did How is it how all four of these main large people, these high-level people, decided to sell stock right before this happened? It's an obvious question to ask. And as an investigator, that seems like a primary starting point. But I promise you, you'll probably never find more out about it. And the business press supposed to be telling ordinary people what's happening with business? Apparently, nobody noticed anything. In fact, as with the FTX crypto scam, you may recall, self-described financial experts in the media were busy promoting Silicon Valley Bank as a great investment that would last forever. Interesting, too, FTX. Sam S. Sam Frankman, Sam Bankman Freed, SBF, SVB. Eh, you know, just interesting. <laughs> the formerly great but now quite embarrassing Forbes magazine, in fact, named SVB to its list of America's best banks. Not once, but five years in a row. Pretty interesting. I mean, it's just really impossible not to see that for the fraud that it is. Now, here is another angle to, to look at. Of course, from this perspective, it's only anything that you can lay at Trump's feet. Now, look, same point. Obviously, this plays a factor. And obviously, there is some level of, just like with the train in Ohio, 
yes, Trump's administration was, and Trump specifically stood up and announced these things. The, as it says here, the moment 2018 when Donald Trump removed the Dodd-Frank regulations that would have prevented, they argue, the Silicon Valley Bank collapse. Now, there's a whole conversation to be had here about whether that is the right thing to do, right? Or whether this is about, you know, there's a lot of conversation to be had. To make this so simple as to say, all of this is because Trump is just mindless. I mean, the bottom line is, the government is responsible in 150,000 different ways for allowing the system to be the way it is. You could argue that Trump did this and it was the wrong thing to do. He did it to benefit himself. You could argue that he did this trying to do the right thing, knowing the system is broken, knowing how to work the system. There's a lot of arguments that can be made. But to make this about one person is about as dumb as it gets. And that goes both ways, guys. This is a government problem. But I just think it's I'm tired of the Biden only, Trump only, the game this gets played and you miss the bigger picture. But I'm, I'm, I'm feeling very hopeful these days that everyone largely is seeing through this because of how obvious this is right now. Here is somebody, specifically Malone, but a lot of people have been kind of saying similar things. The, the collapse of Silicon Valley Bank is a metaphor for the entire West Coast woke culture. In his opinion, they bought into White House propaganda and now they are broke. Reality bites. Silicon Valley Bank bought those treasuries while the White House was telling them that the inflation was transitory. Now, that's one way to look at it, and it's true. The bank bought that hook, line, and sinker. Now, the question is, do they know that? Was this part of the plan? Either way, you could very clearly argue, not argue, point out that they listened to people that were lying. Look, you know, first of all, it's pretty dumb for people to think that what the government is telling you is going to happen is the thing that's going to happen on the surface, because that almost always, I mean, that at best is a coin flip, as far back as you want to look. So if they were listening to what the surface narrative was, that seems like probably the plan. Either way you look at it, this is arguably what went forward. Now, here is, I nothing knew it. Here is the Daily Mail. SVB had no head of risk assessment for nine months before it collapsed. The bottom line is this person was gone in, sure wish my highlighting was here from before, was in April 2022. Collapse leader operated without a chief risk officer lender, excuse me, Silicon Valley Bank operated without a chief risk officer between April 2022 and January 2023. The point is during that time frame, they didn't even have a chief risk officer, but who they did have was somebody who was driving this direction about the woke mindset. And the argument is that they put more emphasis, more focus on these things, thinking that that would pay off because that's what the world's telling everybody, right? Or rather the government's pretending that's what we want. Saying, well, this is the right direction. The world will take care. You do the right thing and you woke culture and you hire all the right people with all the right skin colors and omit and it doesn't matter whether the right people are best for the job. And of course, that will work out for you. Well, everything we see shows the opposite of that because it's not logical. You should hire people based on merit, period. Now, that could be the black person. It could be the Asian person. It could be the white person. It's not racist if you're hiring it based on merit. If it just so happens that certain people end up being predominantly more in the better. I mean, the Asian argument is clearly right there. Clearly, we can see just test scores, for example. Well, it's called racist. Well, how does that exactly work if it's not even based on race? The only group being racist in this concept, not to say that there aren't racist people on the other side of the coin here, but in this concept are the people telling you that you have to hire based on race because that's literally the definition of racism. That's how inverted this all is. And that's where I see this whole woke on one side of it, but rather the two-party illusion operative mindset, who, which is warping a lot of people's minds who don't know it. But the point is, trying to find, oh, you know what? I do think I saved one screenshot here. Stupid thing failing for me. It says, we proactively make it our mission at SVP 
make it our mission at SVB to ensure that our clients, employees, and partners feel listened to and that their voices matter. God, I'm so sorry. <laughs> I try so hard not to get frustrated when this happens. I don't even need to say it right now because you guys already know I'm frustrated about this, but this I don't know why this keeps happening and I want to throw my computer against the wall. But now that said, just try to... <laughs> she has worked for several... There's so much in here and I've just been trying to find what I had in here and it drives me crazy, but she worked for a lot of different banks. And says, as a queer person of color, I'm a first-generation immigrant from a working-class background where not many roles, models for me to see growing up. The point is she argues, this is what I want to see, what I want to point out for the next part. You can be what you, you can't be what you can't see, she says. This is a person who was hired for specifically for this, um, son of a, for those that are new to the show, I had it all highlighted before and it just went away for some crazy reason. But the point is the trying to find where her title was, I guess we'll skip it. Damn it. But if you can't see it or you can't be what you can't see, that's an interesting argument. It's not true. Right. So you tell that to that, the, you know, the, the lone kid somewhere in the middle of, you know, we've held, there's plenty of historical stories about the kid that found a math book in the cave and ended up being one of the smartest kids ever. Like, well, that you're going to tell that kid that because he didn't see all the other things, he wasn't able to become that. Like, it's, it's almost insulting, almost actually racist in itself to argue that unless I see a black person in a position of power, I can't strive to be that person. I mean, that's kind of what they're saying. I just think that's insulting. Now, I understand that there is racism, obviously. You know, anyone saying otherwise is stupid. But to then argue the other way around it, like this is the backward kind of thinking, in my opinion. And in fact, what this does is this drives racist arguments in reverse, which we've seen everywhere. But the main point here, again, is we pro it says from funding unrepresented entrepreneurs to having multiple employee resource groups, I could not be prouder of working for a company like this. Now, the point is that they're focusing on these underrepresented entrepreneurs. As opposed to anybody that might be coming through the doors that might just be somebody with money. You can, I can guarantee you that they focused on this and people, let's say someone comes in from a Republican platform or a Republican something or any just leaning politics they don't like. They would feel that not they wouldn't do it. Or let's just say it's a company that is in a, a business that they think isn't ESG. Well, they probably would turn it down. The point is that is putting woke politics over success clearly to their detriment people are now ha lashing out or you know calling them out for that preoccupation with that focus this one person wrote the board of directors is filled with diversity hires who are there because of their woke credentials we see this everywhere and you may think that's right but i don't understand how even somebody who believes this is the right thing to do can stand back and argue that that is equitable to use these terms that they want to push in your face how is it equitable if there's somebody who's worked their entire life to be this position, who has far better credentials, but you choose somebody who just has a certain skin color or a certain sexual preference, because that's equitable, right? I mean, that's the point. This whole thing is backward and broken. That's not to say that there's not something within all of it that we should at least discuss. It's to simply point out that they are using this stuff against all of us. It says they all have pronouns in their bios, which are filled with corporate newspeak. The head of financial risk and model risk management was uh, was this one the person they referenced who is just openly all about this mindset? This is what happens when you allow people to manage your money based on woke principles instead of their actual skill and competence. We're seeing that all around the world right now, from the WHO to the World Economic Forum down. 
I hope the deposits depositors at this failed bank enjoy all of that diversity because diversity is your strength, huh? Get woke, go broke. He he brought out. Panic rock the financial sector. I'm gonna say so there was plenty of other points in here. We'll go past it. The point here is they're simply saying the White House urges you to have faith in regulators, right? Because regulators have earned that faith. By the way, faith is ever that they want you to have faith in science. They have faith in the government. No, that's utterly stupid. You could believe in these things and question them constantly. You don't just trust these groups. That is a recipe for exactly where we are. They know that. You should believe in them and question them at every single moment. That's how that should work. If you even want to believe in them. At this point, I don't. They're not in this for you. The reason they want you to have faith in regulators is because the regulators are doing what they're told. The regulators are doing what their opposite of their job is. The same thing we see with the EPA, the CDC, these groups that are supposed to be doing things for you. It's the opposite. They are captured agencies. That's what we're seeing. Now, here's another example of how this woke mindset is driving these in other areas. Now, ask yourself, it may not matter to this bank, right? But at some level, you have banks like SVB that are making choices that are their own detriment for politics. This is Dr. Pennsylvania Adams pointing out this BMO has debanked him. This is the registered letter that was just sent to him via UPS. He has one month to close all of his accounts and they've ended their relationship with him. Here's what it says. This is crazy. This is March 7th, 2023. This letter is to inform you that after careful consideration, we will be ending our banking relationship with you. It has been determined that your personal and or business activities fall outside our risk appetite. That is ESG right there. And therefore, we do not have an appropriate basis to maintain a banking relationship. They are using, they're choosing politics. A banking institution. I mean, look, if there's the, the banks historically have been the groups that have quietly, secretly funded Nazis that have funded all sorts of weird sexual trafficking, drug trafficking, all sorts of weird governmental. Pro all of this is historically obvious. Maybe not this specific bank, but guaranteed those large banks, the J.P. Morgan, the Willis Fargo's of the world have leaned into every dark, disgusting thing the government's done. But now they care. The point is that his weird, whatever it is, it's probably because he thinks that injections are dangerous. Oh, can't allow that. As a result, we ask you to close your accounts by April 7th. Cease operations with you. Call BMO. Let's know how you think about this. Now, remember that we already saw this. This is February 9th. We talked about this. This is the video of Bank of America, where people are standing in the lobby. Every one of them standing there asking why they couldn't get their money out. This was already slowly happening elsewhere. Why weren't we thinking about it then? Like, maybe this is all connected in the same point. Something clearly is happening. And we know regardless that they want to transition as they're not, this is not a secret. They're openly saying this, that this is the next step. The CBDCs, the new direction, the digital transformation, they're all telling you that. And what else do they tell you in the beginning? Well, what do we need? An event, right? Lincoln had to wait for Fort Sumter. Maybe they need to wait for this. They need to wait for an event to justify the action, at least in your minds. Maybe that's this, maybe not, but realize that that's how they operate. Here is just the reality, and this was on the 10th as well, showing you, I think Tucker mentioned as well, that we all of these major banks had gigantic collapses, losses. They didn't fail, but it's clearly interconnected. Now here is the one I looked up just before we went live. This is March 12th from today. FDIC auction for failed SVB underway. 
So it's it's racing to sell their assets before branches open on Monday. Now, how does that work exactly? Like if I had, if I was one of these companies running this bank, this doesn't make me feel good. Does that mean that the bank is going to exist on Monday? You're selling their assets to one group, to multiple entities. I mean, I read through this. It doesn't seem to be entirely clear. This seems like an auction process. So it seems to be multiple people with people with, well, arguably with final bids due Sunday afternoon. Potentially that could mean that the one with the highest bid wins. It's weirdly opaque. It says the FDIC is aiming for a swift deal, but a winner may not be known until late Sunday. That's today. Representatives for the FDIC declined to comment on the auction process. Why is this? They just had an entire meeting in November about transparency, and now they are completely (laughs) tight-lipped. Obviously, that shows you the reality, doesn't it? These people don't care about you. The FDIC is now racing to sell assets and make a portion of clients' uninsured deposits available as soon as Monday. People with knowledge of the situation have said. Now, why would they be focusing on making a portion of the uninsured deposits? I guess the argument being that the insured deposits are okay and that the uninsured above 250000 they're trying to make sure some of them are okay. What happens when only some of them are? What about the rest of them? Why do they choose some and not others? And this whole thing seems completely arbitrary. The argument, the agency has said it will make 100% of protected deposits available on Monday. That's what they claim. So arguably tomorrow, if you are protected, under $250,000 in the bank, then they're claiming you should be okay. Maybe that'll put some, to you know, settle some nerves out there. But just like 2008, they said a lot before it collapsed. And of course, this could be a last effort to make sure everybody pulls back to, you know, help what they want to achieve because that's how this works. So the bottom line is do what you think is right for you. The idea that we're supposed to consider everybody else's problems, including the ones that government put over your head before you do what's right for you and your family is absurd. Now, sometimes, yes, that should be considered. There's plenty of examples of where you don't just do what's only right for you while it hurts other people around you. But in this case, this is completely arbitrary. We're talking about something that's not even guaranteed. The fact that you go get your money, that suddenly that's going to pop like that. It's just it's putting you putting the responsibility for their failure on you individually. And that's just completely dishonest and just criminal, as far as I'm concerned. Here is Ron Paul speaking in 2012, possibly one of the last honest politicians, if that's even the case, talking about fractional reserve banking and having one of the experts, Dr. Joseph Joseph Salerno, discussing how, yes, even back in the early 1900s, the reason it collapsed wasn't because the gold standard The way they tried to trick you into going somewhere else, it was because of fractional reserve banking. And that's what's still happening now, because that's how they control and profit you from you. Myself, uh, five minutes, um, you know, suggesting that we could move into something like in the 70s with low, low growth and prices going up. History also shows that you can get inflationary depressions, too. <laughs> the depression actually gets worse, and, and then you also have the destruction of the currency, and let's hope we can prevent that from happening. But I, I want to ask the panel, and I'll start with uh, Dr. Salerno, about some of the challenges we get, those of us who believe in commodity money or even the gold standard, that they always throw the 19th century up to us, you know, and they say, well, the gold standard was a total failure because we had bank runs. That's why we had to have the Fed, and that's why we had to have this system. Um, but, you know, uh, Murray Rothbard wrote about, you know, the booms and the busts in the 19th century. He didn't blame the gold standard like they did in the 1930s. They said the, the gold standard was at fault. But he- That was, that was the, one of the early financial manipulations to drive you into this situation. 
knowing that there was more control if they have the gold and all, it basically switched you in a situation where you transacted in meaningless fiat currency, right? That's where we ended up, like post the gold standard being removed. You talked about the pyramiding of debt and, and, uh, and the uh, deposits and, and would that be uh, saying that there is some blame for fractional reserve banking for contributing to those crises that we had in the 19th century, and it was that rather than the gold standard that caused those problems? Yes, I think that's right, um, and uh, that, that the fractional reserve banking was really to blame for, for most of those um, panics and, and depressions. Um, particularly after the Civil War when we had the national banking system, uh, you, you had this, this pyramiding um, not only on gold, but, but, but the Wall Street banks pyramided on gold. Yep. The gold was concentrated in Wall Street. That was one of the points of the legislation. And then the country banks pyramided not on gold. They didn't hold gold. They held, held Wall Street bank um, notes. So even back then, you can see that the Wall Street and the banking industry was leading the charge and the government was secondary. As, uh, and deposits as, as their reserves. So we had this huge, unstable, upside-down pyramid, which was ready to topple over at, at the slightest uh, you know, problem or, 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 or small or large default on some loan. And, and, and that's exactly what the, the cause was, not the commodity money standard itself. Right. And realizing that the point was that you're they, that you create the fractional reserve banking creates a situation where they just don't have enough on hand to deal with it. So it just randomly, if for some reason, maybe they get wind of that back then, or maybe they just randomly decide for some reason to collectively go get their money. It's not there. So the problem was not that they the gold standard caused the problem. It was that they went to get their money and it wasn't all there. So they just made the argument that that was the problem. Right. And first of all, the reality is that in the beginning, the fractional reserve banking wasn't there. But the argument being that there was already being manipulated or already were manipulations taking place. And the idea that they wouldn't want to they wouldn't want to have to have all the money on hand at any one given moment. Clearly, that was the mindset. And that's why the fractional reserve banking argument was put forward under the guise that the gold standard was the problem. And it just continued to collect and consolidate that power and control in the hands of the corporations and Wall Street which is arguably exactly what's still happening today. Somebody in the chat's talking about ATMs, and this is the exact reason that you can't just go take all your money out. Even when you go into the bank, go to an ATM, they'll probably barely allow you to take $100 out right now in anywhere. But you go inside, there is still a limit to your money. You, can't, you literally just can't go in and take all your money out. You only really find that out when you try, and most people don't. It's an alarming reality to go, wait a minute, that's mine. I need that right now. Sorry, can't do it. You're not in control. If we were back in the 19th century, what would have been the tool uh, for preventing those bubbles from forming? Would there have been a, a government role in trying to prevent what you just described? Yeah, get rid, get rid of all of, of, of the policies that cause the pyramiding. Let right. the banks each stand on their own bottom. If they want to have fractional reserve banking, let them hold their own reserves. They, make they a get mistake. a loan from another bank that they, well, they may, may be able to go on for a little while. But right. that Think about what he just said. You see, why that's not, the only reason that's crazy is because then the banks are responsible for their own criminal activity, right? Because then if this happens, well, they're on their own. Yeah, like he said, you could go get a loan from somebody else, maybe keep going. But at some point, this is, insus this is unsustainable, as they seem to know then and nobody cared then. And yet just kept sleepwalking in 2008, despite Rand Paul and Ron Paul and plenty of others 
going, this is going to happen. This is inevitable. And here we are for times two. Why we wouldn't want these independent for-profit banks. Like think about that. How The argument is somehow these banks are inter this interest for you. These are for-profit companies. The idea that they're supposed to be outsourced to you or to you, like you take the debt that you have to pay off when these problems happen. The real point should be that they are, they should be culpable and accountable for their own actions, obviously. But here we are again, watching the government in many different ways, abuse this system. Now to go over to some censorship, and this does overlap as well, the concept about how we are trying to have these conversations. And yes, even right now on Twitter and many other locations, people are being censored right now about a lot of stuff. And I do believe this is very important, whether it's about the bank, which look, as this banking conversation gets more prominent and as it becomes, and it hopefully not, but as it potentially gets more intense, like on the cusp of some kind of collapse, well, they will, they will want to control the narrative, just like with COVID. We even saw in their meeting where they said we have to control disinformation. It's the same thing. So when we get to that point, maybe we're already there, you will see these kind of conversations shut down. Actually, we already saw it, by the way. There were people trying to post about the bank conversation, even on Twitter, and got censored for it. Of course, there was an excuse. Well, you know, next, oh, sorry, here was an error, glitch, whatever, but it happened. Here is an alarming one that I'm really, I'm really mad about because this was, for a moment, seemed to be the only location that you could go to. But apparently, according to Fiorella Isabel from, from Convo Couch, Pasta, Craig, was going to do some investigative work in Cuba with some of his colleagues and was using a give, send, go. Give, send, go. You know, the one they went to in Canada because they were being censored? They just canceled the campaign and took $1,600, unless something changed over today, from their supporters who donated. It says, quote, we cannot permit any dealings, engagement, or sale of goods and services linked directly or indirectly with jurisdictions or persons deemed high risk, like Cuba, Iran, North Korea, Syria, Crimea, Donetsk, and Lugansk, the Donbass region. So literally understand, give, send, go has chosen a political side. And if you go in to try to make some kind of, raise money for people in Donbass, they're going to take it from you. At least that's what it says here. It says, let them know how shameful and cowardly this is, and please don't use them as this could happen to you. The attacks on independent media and opposing views are getting worse. Here's their actual post. Thank you for considering Gibson Go a platform for your fundraiser. It's saying this is being pulled under the prohibited and restricted fundraisers. And it's exactly what we just read. Listing off Don Donetsk, Lugansk regions. How is that even possible? It's saying name to a restricted person or party list of the U.S. So you have the company who was acting like they were somehow circumventing the actual censorship, for, I guess, from Canada, whereas the United States is still clearly driving what they're doing, as well as the EU and other entities. I mean, how does it even make sense to anybody? And then they take the money. How does that make sense? Something's wrong, guys, and I think we're being played here. And I think this is where some of the early next segment we're going to get into is the whole two-party operatives thing. And I think this is kind of part of it is we get propped up in these things where we act like we know somebody like suddenly Elon buys Twitter and he is the guy we all want him to be. Is that the case? Like even if it is even if it's in your best interest to say that, even if it's politically beneficial to you to think that, can't we stand back and go, maybe not? Obviously, that's a problem for people today. I just don't know why. I think it's obvious reasons because it benefits them and it's not really about the truth. 
anybody out there who do who does these kind of things or engages with this kind of content that later gets shown to be wildly false and nobody falls back up and goes, oh, I guess my secret sources were wrong. We should ask whether they've been always trying to manipulate. Either way, this is really concerning to me. Here's another example from YouTube. Not that this matters, as I wrote here, for those that still care about YouTube. I know, right? Who are they? It's now censoring discussion on East Palestine. Palestine, under the guise of medical misinfo. Seriously. Both of these were primarily about Palestine. This one specifically only about Palestine and knowingly ignoring dioxins. Guys, this is coming, and as as, as I actually said in the tweet, both under medical misinformation. I said, does it matter that what I'm discussing is coming directly from highly regarded experts in this field? Like some of the highest? Well, it didn't during COVID, so who cares? Just I mean, so this is my point. Whether it's about SVB, East Palestine, these major companies are just randomly controlling the near on Twitter too. But that's crazy. So if you're in East Palestine, you tell YouTube what you think about this. Medical misinformation? Well, as your child's bleeding from their nose incessantly and you have nothing to stop it, or people are having rashes on their faces, they can't breathe straight and they have headaches in your own home as of yesterday, maybe you should reach out to them and let them know what they don't know about medical misinformation. Here is on Twitter, Johnny Vedmore points out, how long did it take for Elon and his Twitter techno-fascists to start censoring and shadow banning the same people as the last Twitter mafioso did? Well, he's pointing out something that we're all seeing right now. As Doom points out that he, you try to type his name in and it just doesn't autocorrect or you can't find it when you search for it. The same thing you'll find from me, Robert Inlakesh, intermittently. Like I, mine somehow pops up sometimes or whatever else, but weirdly, right now a lot of people are in this boat. Now, yes, you could argue, oh, well, it's the FBI or it's the old Twitter employees or they're still working out the bugs. How long is that going to go on? Certainly could be. I'm not saying I know for sure. You'll never hear that unless I do know for sure. The problem is that people don't like it, so they call you this and that because of whatever else. People want to see what they want to see. If you can't at least ask whether this is honest or whether that's happening, then you're lying to yourself. Now, here's Consent Factory, who's been pointing this out from the very beginning. They've been censored incessantly like the entire time. Elon's free speech Twitter is still visibly filtering this account with fake, sensitive content and age-restricted adult content warnings but at least they're now flooding our twitter feed with tweets by idiotic bigots that we don't follow probably on purpose you see because then these accounts can be framed as the racist entities they want them to look like that's happening on twitter right now hear what he's saying that his account is now being flooded with bigots and people saying things that they want to see as the right wing side isn't that happening on twitter right wing control platform we're being played and I hope we can see that. But think about how this is happening. Where you're, these are these are not co- age restricted content. Conf- I mean, you look at the account; it's definitely in some people's minds considered conspiracy theory. But you'll find that it's the same kind of stuff we're talking about: discussions of people fighting against the narrative. And I'm actually going to talk about this in a minute. In any case, even if you didn't agree with it, that shouldn't be what's going on on a free speech platform. Here's an interesting point, and no way do I like or agree with Keith Keith Olbermann, but he says, well, first of all, the tweet Elon put out was, I'm not part of MAGA, but I do believe in fairness of justice. And he's talking about the, you know, QAnon shaman, or a dumb name they're calling him, and saying he was falsely portrayed in the media as a violent person, which he was. It's blatantly obvious. It's not a partisan thing. That's just facts. But he, he, he follows up and makes an interesting point. Please remember to report this tweet for violating rules by denying a violent event. Which Elon then goes, have you considered a career in comedy? And he says, have you considered a career in business? Oh, you guys are so funny. You know what gets missed in all of that? The fact that Twitter really does still have a violent event denial 
policy right now. Has no, I don't even care about that tweet in regard to what whether or not January 6th. That's, I don't care about any of that. The point is that it's there. And that Twitter right now literally has a policy that says we prohibit content that denies that mass murder or other mass casualty events took place. 9-11, mass shootings. Now, I'm not saying that you agree with that. Maybe you do, maybe you don't. But you can't tell people what they are allowed to think or deny or agree with. There are entire events that we have proven have been lied about. One of them being 9-11. But the point is, apparently right now, they can censor you for that if they disagree. I guess whether Elon personally disagrees. Because that makes sense, right? Where we can verify that the event occurred. Well, they would argue that was 9-11. They would argue that would be things. Plenty of people would argue January 6th. But apparently Elon disagrees, so therefore that one doesn't apply. But I agree with him in that case. But the reality being is this is not what a free speech platform looks like. All this is right now is as a, as a illusion of free speech platform that has all of the wrong things just waiting to be used. What happens if Elon's no longer in charge? What happens if he is and he just is lying to you now? This is an illusion. This may include references to such an event as a hoax. Right? What if somebody wants to come on and say they think the Holocaust was a hoax? Oh no, that's not allowed. Now whether or not you agree with that, of course you have a right to ask that question and to engage in the conversation, no matter how crazy some may think it is or how bigoted or how abusive, it's called free speech. And they even they even listed off right there, school shootings, terrorist attacks, natural disasters. Where are the Republicans out there that would argue everything about this is exactly what they didn't want? And fight against. Well, just because he doesn't apply it, therefore it doesn't exist, apparently. There's plenty out there you can read for yourself and read in insults. Apparently you can't insult somebody repeatedly. Totally subjective, but that's the world we're in. Because hate speech is still being censored on Twitter, even though it's not even a real law. And the reality is that's contradictory to free speech, regardless of how you think about it. Now, people will hear that statement and argue that I don't care about it. It's not what I said, though. See, the point is that fundamentally... I can be consistent with my logic, even if I think people are saying gross things. I have a right to think people are disgusting, but I can also point out that a disgusting person has a right to be disgusting. Now, here's an interesting point from Jurassic Carl. Wait a minute, Twitter. I've gotten a ton of warning labels on my tweets for posting photos of skin diseases on arms, legs, and backs caused by the COVID vaccines. Well, that's not what you'd expect from a free speech platform fighting for the right, huh? All from peer-reviewed papers? Yeah, I've got the same stuff. But guess what? These crazy, these crazies can post a bunch of photos with boobs out leftists and no problem. Oh, by the way, excuse me. I forgot. Spo uh, whatever you call it, I guess I muffs <laughs> for people watching with children. There's a nude picture that I'm going to show, which is right out on Twitter. The point is, these are naked women showing their boobs right out in the open, right on Twitter. Right there. Extinction Rebellion. Now, I'm not saying it should be censored. Quite the opposite. My point, though, is why would there be a label arguing this is sensitive content on provable things to being caused by these injections peer do, uh, per peer-reviewed papers, but that's not. It, it's a complete arbitrary, hypocritical stance right now. Everything about this is ridiculous. Here's a really alarming thing that's kind of connected, but really just kind of want to one step back into the woke argument. This blows my mind, and this is happening on Twitter and other platforms, seemingly um, predominantly on Meta or Facebook, but this is actually pretty nuts. It actually says this. Tell your teens, your teens, largely under 18, that this new service from NC, which one is this again? It's weird that doesn't pop up. What is the NCMEC again? It's right here. 
It doesn't, that's your list. I was assuming it was this actually group right here. But in any case, I guess we'll have to figure out what that one was. But Meta, allowing them to safely hash from their own device with no upload any nudes they think might be in the wrong hands. So platforms can keep that image from being posted. Now, you could argue that means that it's not something that can be seen or engaged with, but I don't believe that's the case. This seems a little bit creepy to me. If you uh, So you're literally arguing that people should identify their nude pictures with the platform so they can make sure if and when it needs to be, they can pull it down. Why don't you just not do that, first of all, if you have a problem with it? Secondly, why we think these companies would honor your privacy when that's the very last thing they do. Now, I understand what it means in regard to the hash and so on, but I we've seen how this stuff is not... Bottom line is, as I said, there's potential for abuse. And I said, in this service, is this service run by pedophiles and creeps? If not, it will be soon. Yikes. It's scary. Take it down. A, to, a new tool to combat unauthorized sharing of explicit images of minors. Why are minors sharing pictures of naked pe- of na- their naked bodies anyway? And even if they are, why would this company be like, hey, let us know about it so we can make sure? I mean, I mean that's crazy to me. Anyway. That's where this seems to be going. And one step further, here's the kind of brief direction into this kind of great reset de- panopticon of mind, this technocratic alarmist direction. I mean, not or not, that's the wrong way to say that. Technocratic, al- alarming technocratic direction. Microsoft just announced their visual, visual chat GPT. If you thought the chat was alarming, which it was, get ready for the visual version. It enables you to send, receive, and edit images during chatting. Think of that. You can also ask questions about any images. Wild. Great. So I just think it's an interesting overlap. They're going, hey, give us all your nude pics, children. And then here, like, hey, hey, we can edit this and use it. Now, how long until this gets used against somebody? Well, I keep talking about why it blows my mind that we have yet to see the whole deep fake lens, which I do think is coming over everything, which brings us to our next point. But this is pretty scary. And this is all happening so fast that we barely even have time to understand what's happening. And I think that's exactly the point. Now I want to close some stuff really quickly that I don't need open. Hopefully it'll open up this chat. Let's see. I have a lot of <laughs> a lot of things to get into today. Here, I'll just start from this. Almost there. There we go. Okay. So let's start here with this interesting post. Dr. Anastasia Maria Lupus says, it's a shame some people don't receive psychiatric treatment. It's an odd statement, first of all. I don't like the, the implication, regardless of what somebody's like, that they should be on the same kind of medical in, interventions that we're all concerned about right now. Kind of seems like a strange thing to say for somebody pointing out medical tyranny, but you know that's, that's neither here nor there. The point is that this person is seems crazy, right? Full gender reassignment surgery along with hormone blockers. And access to abortions this alone is a threat to our democracy. Now, that is a real appearance, and that is a real place, and that's a real person speaking. However, despite this getting shared to 401,000 people and, you know, all the different stuff, Aaron Elizabeth, who shared it herself, then came back and said, well, this actually turns out to be Cassidy Campbell, a comedian on YouTube, 
just found out after I shared your video. It's kind of a way saying like, thanks a lot. Well, you did share it, Aaron. So on you as well. But at the end of the day, that's happening a lot, right? People are not vetting things entirely. Now, I'm not, I'm not even saying that she implied that it was real, right? Everyone should be doing their own due diligence. Nonetheless, what I think is interesting is it, it seems obvious that this was shared under the implication that this is a real person. And therefore, it's sad that there are people like this on the left that actually need your help. The, under, the obvious implication that people like that are mentally unstable. And I do agree with that. A lot of this kind of direction that you see largely on the left, but it's happening on a lot of side on all sides, as far as I can tell. But it turned out to be fake, not well, an, a, an intentional fake by a comedian who's trying to make fun of that side. Now, my point here is we get before we get into the other side of this is that that is being pointed at by people on the right who maybe don't other understand that that's not real and going, yeah, that's how they are. Now, yeah, I could argue there are some people like that, but I could show you people on any political side that are that extreme and kind of lose themselves in the extreme sides of their manipulation paradigm. But I want to ask the question here about whether or not people like this are entirely fake. Now, I'm not even saying, I, again, like I, I just said, that's not the case, but just thinking, thought experiment. How much of this conversation is being faked or being leaned into by the other side to make a political point? Right? We see this on both sides. We have the left clearly pretending to be what they want the right to be at January 6th. And a lot of other examples where we just went over this, where we have provable. And I, you, please watch this show if you're sitting there going, that's fake news. It's absolutely undeniable. You have this guy on video three different times openly saying he's a, 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 a Trump hater, openly saying that he works with left-leaning, specifically Antifa-type groups, on openly saying that they successfully tricked them into the Capitol. All of that is apparently missed in the excellent due diligence by the government. Except on some sides, right? The ones that are acting like they can't see it. Either way, in this case, the point is, we saw what January 6th was largely like. The vast majority of people just kind of milling through, not really, you know, but then you had some people that were really angry and really violent. A lot of them with weird overlaps with FBI and weird overlaps with certain kind of clothing. The bottom line is questioning, again, just thought experiment, how much is an illusion? How much of it is because people have bought into the illusion without realizing they're being played, like from the left and right, where people like this kid, like, again, just for ex thought experiment, pretending this is a normal person, not some operative, which is certainly possible too, who just believes so deeply that the right is what he's been told that it is, and it's not, that he goes so far as to pretend to be what they say they are, goes out, acts on it, gets other people that may be kind of on the edge to jump in and be a part of it. And the point is that then becomes the representation of the right when really it was all this hyped up perspective that he was given by people on the left. I know that's abstract, but think about it for a second. And going back to the same thing here. Is this really what the left is or is this the right's interpretation of the left, which gets embodied by people pretending to be that and then gets pointed at by the right to say that's what they are. Now, again, these people exist in some ways. How much, though? How much of this is what is actually happening and how much is what's meant to keep us divided and hating each other so we miss what's actually happening? Two-party illusion. Now, there's these are what I would call the, well, at least this one right here, the unintentional operative. The person who's doing this because they believe that's what the other side is and they're trying to make a message from it. Maybe that's the truth or maybe they're just unwittingly 
towing a narrative that they don't realize they're towing. In fact, they think they're challenging. I think it's interesting to think about. I have a couple more examples, but at the end of the day, the main premise, the main kind of overarching point is I believe that both sides are kind of pretending to be what they see the other side as and acting on that perception. Both sides, again, either knowingly or unknowingly, point at those fakes in some cases to reaffirm their side's consensus on what the other side is like. Again, like Antifa, January 6th, or like the people we just saw. So the question is really, what is the likelihood that all of the extreme sides, or a lot of it, are actually fake impersonations or government or both? Just a thought. I know people might not want to think that. They've already have their entire careers leaned into the idea that this is the reality. And again, we can point out very obvious examples of people that are pretty nuts on both sides, all sides. But how much of that is actually fake? I, I think we should really ask that question today. So here's another example of something I think kind of overlaps with this main point. People are saying that the uh, Odyssey is down. <laughs> that keeps happening a lot. I'm not sure why. It looks like it's up to me. No, you're right. I, I just don't even understand what's happening with Odyssey lately. It's like every other show. Any second, let me try to refresh it. Hopefully that works. No, it's not even letting me do that. I don't understand. Oh, well. You know, maybe it's censorship. Maybe it's, you know, I don't know. That's frustrating. Sorry for those that want to watch on Odyssey. Apparently it's just not working for Odyssey today. Now, back to the show. The point is, this is... I, I mean, I, somebody commented, I think it's down there. No, it will kind of the fact that this is real still or, or rather it exists still. But again, the question is whether or not this or this person or people that are pushing it are really just a government op, which I think we know the Q thing really was or whether it's trickling down. I mean, the different variations that we just discussed. Here's a real thing. This is from March 10th to the doubters, to the naysayers, to the skeptics, to the whiners. The first sealed indictment. Remember all that? With the 90,000 sealed indictment. Apparently that's still happening. Apparently the first one is about to actually happen. After, what, six years? Seven years? Your world is about to be become undone. Your illusion of it will collapse on itself. All timeliness will converge at that point, which I don't even know what that means. I'm guessing that's some kind of Q post they're trying to interpret. You have been warned. Now, the reason I say Q is because you can read the engagement down here and it becomes very clear what this is really about. And there are some overlapping posts down here. People saying like, like this one, something incredible happened today that will make history. I hate to be that guy, but stay tuned for a massive announcement on Monday. That's tomorrow. Well, we'll see it, when there's inevitably no massive announcement. You know, usually this becomes something like people saying, Oh, it's about them voting to go after the COVID origins. That's not a huge earth-shattering announcement, but whatever they can pluck becomes what it was, and then you're a shill for saying it's not the reality, even though it's a benign step in a direction we all saw coming. But it's a big announcement. Who knows? Oh, Odyssey's up now? Good. But my point was, maybe Q will get it right the 47th time this gets floated. Or maybe it's just as obvious a manipulation as it's always been. That being said, and hear me on this, I still hope I'm wrong. Why anybody would hope that this isn't true is beyond me. Well, I know because one angle, it's that would mean Trump was right. And therefore, I'd rather have the world burn down than Trump be right. That's a child. The reality is, if this is true, the way they frame it, that we have good people in the government trying to fight against the bad and the, hopefully they'll win out and allow the prosperous country to go forward. Why wouldn't that's yes, please, God, I hope that happens. But 
Not only have they been repeatedly shown to be wrong, repeatedly shown to be lying, at the end of the day, this is the same Q agenda driven by completely subjective assumption. I'm never going to get in with that. But again, I hope that I'm wrong. As she says, and this is what really scares me, my mom panic calls me every few months about three days of darkness. And most recently, which again is something we should genuinely be concerned about, but not because Q says so. And most recently, while I was at work, made it sound like an emergency, that a mysterious aircraft was shot down near Gitmo, where Obama, Biden, the Clintons are being housed. That's This is still happening. I don't even understand the kind of person that can fall into this, knowing how often they just take the next argument. It's like the people on the left that were told, Mass work no matter what. And then they go, but wait, now cloth doesn't work. Use N95. They go, okay, next thing. They don't stop and go, but wait a minute. <laughs> that doesn't make sense because they were, t- it doesn't matter. They just go with the next argument and they just pretend like it all makes sense. That's how it works in the two-party paradigm. Of course, the Q people would never want to pretend that they're just like the left. It's the same way. It's, they're all in the same game. And this is why we get shunned by most of the people, but even in the pen media, because we kind of attack the two-party paradigm which to me is the biggest problem that people lean into for largely benefit. But to me, this is an example. I truly believe that the QAnon thing was meant to do exactly what we saw with Trump and the manipulations there. And this was a government operation. And this is the same kind of thing that we think this is a, and and look at how Q and the whole QAnon thing, despite being almost largely dropped by most of the GOP and Republicans and Patriots and all these groups, some of them still buy it. That that's being pointed at as the white supremacy, extreme MAGA. That's just a coincidence, right? No, it's because it was designed that way. That's my opinion. I think it's very obvious personally. But here is another example. This is very interesting. This is from yesterday. Now, we've been talking about this a lot. This is Ford Fisher. By the way, you should follow. He does great work. He just kind of from an independent kind of nonpartisan perspective, just films, anything. And it's just on there for everyone to use. You know, no implication, no politics over the top of it. And what I love is how he often gets censored for just showing what's happening. It's just, just showing you that they have an agenda over just understanding what's going on. But this is another one of these white supremacy marches that was chock full of all the people we can prove are completely compromised, like the Patriot Front. Or specifically one of these groups that are connected with the people that were there who directly overlap with the Autumn Waffen Division and Patriot Front, which, by the way, are directly connected to the Azov movement, the CIA, and all the rest of things we've proven to you. Here's one of the things you can check out right here. Oops, not that one. Here. The Patriot Front, January 6th, and the Vanilla ISIS PSYOP. This is one of the ones you can get into that will show you the, the ridiculous breakdown of why this is such an obvious PSYOP. But just to show you his thread here, the bottom line is several. And I find it interesting. I think he says it like this because that's what they were saying. Personally, I don't think for, I mean, I don't know for personally, but I've seen his work in the past and arguably he's pretty, usually pretty objective. And to say anti-drag is either what they were saying on the ground or my point is that these things are not about like from a Republican perspective, largely, as far as I can tell, as even the bill that was passed in Tennessee is about nudity and sexual content from any person in front of children. And yes, they focus on the drag queen story time because it's being used as some kind of portal for weird sexual endeavors. Dancing on stage at 9.30 p.m. with children while they basically strip down or do sexual gyration. That's not okay. It's not about the drag queen. It's about the sexual content in front of children. And they'll love to make it about how I'm, you know, wink, wink, actually hate gay people or whatever. That's the best they can do, even though it's completely not true. 
and consistently throughout my entire career, I've made that clear. But the point is, anti-drag being stated by these people seems like an obvious agenda because they want it to be, no, we don't just hate the, you know, sexualizes of children. We hate that they exist. And that's how they want the right to be perceived. You see where I'm going with this? Even though that's largely not what I see. There, I can point plenty of people in the right that do have the, you know, very Christian right perspective that gay people in general are anti-God, whatever. That, that exists. By and large, I do not see that. And I try, I ask, I lean into, I have plenty of groups in my family and otherwise that are very on the Republican side. And that's not what I see. Now, yes, I could miss it too. What I see is a effort to protect the children from this sexualized direction. But here they come out and go anti-drag and white lives matter and all these things, which by the way, it's that same point of how that's in and, in and of itself, a st- kind of an interesting thing to say as well, then, you know, the whole game where you're not supposed to say all lives matter because that's offensive. It's just broken guys. This whole thing is ridiculous. At the end of the day, the, they seem to be saying all the things that they pretend the right does, even though you can prove that they don't usually even do that. So this is why this feels completely manipulated to me. Like they're trying to put up a, 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 theater show of what they want the left to think the right is so they keep you guys all hating each other either way this was in ohio which you know interesting first of all but it says pedophiles get the rope chanted the armed neo-nazi group waving swastika flags like okay so now anybody that's out there saying pedophiles are bad are going to be conflated with nazis see how that works and and by the way these are all the people that are hating on this that are currently screaming we should fund the nazis in ukraine because that makes sense right but it says in there, okay, they're chanting Zig Heil and they're they're doing the salute and all everything, right? Violence breaks out a couple times and they're fighting back and forth. And it's just, it's just it seems so art. This seems ridiculous, all of it. But it says you think uh, and the, oh, th- there's some interesting points in this. There's people that come out. There's a guy that basically brandishes a gun. This guy right here, right here, he pulls a gun out. Which is interesting because it's right, he basically points it at these people. I thought it was this one. Great job, Twitter. You can't even same thing. If you guys know, try to use Twitter as much as people in the independent media do. It's, you can't even move this thing once without it freaking out. Which is, you know, it's not working. That's pretty pretty consistent, at least for me. I don't know for you guys. Maybe it's just me. Of course, the one I want to use isn't showing up. Let's try it again. Son of a gun. Whatever. <laughs> anyway, maybe it was this one. Right there. Okay. So this is really obvious. Now, to me, I don't think it's even debatable. I think it's very obvious he's holding a gun or at least something that's meant to look like a gun. But the point is, there's police officers all over the place. Now, in, I actually, on top of my head, I don't even remember what the law is in Ohio. I know in Tennessee it's open carry. But regardless, the point is that there's cops everywhere. And he literally points this gun right at these people. Nobody seems to do anything about it. Look at that. That cop is right there. Who? This guy points the gun at him. I mean, that seems ridiculous to me. Either way, that's what he points out in slow motion. And these people keep showing up in these videos. Now, the bottom line is that you will see this weird group all in red who he tries to identify. And they basically just say right here. 
It's very interesting. This guy, he tried to ask what group they were with. And the guy says, I'm with, he says something in German. And when he asks him what that means, he goes, don't worry. You'll find, you'll, you'll find out soon. That seems like an odd thing to say, right? Like, like they know this is about to go national or something like that. What group is this? What? He says, don't worry about it, buddy. You'll hear about it later. You know, this guy that just screams, <laughs> I mean, all these guys, I mean, anyway, I'm not, I'm not going to guess, but you know, a lot of these people have the kind of standing that you would expect from some kind of officer or, you know, agent or something like that, but who knows? But the bottom line is you can see the, first of all, the Patriot front, the, the, yeah, I always want to say popular for some reason, Patriot front, which is a, a complete obvious, I think, verifiable psyop. Try to find the one where it shows them. I swear there was a really obvious one for a second. How am I missing? All- oh, right there. There it is. So this, that, that is, that is the Patriot Front. Which, watch this show. There's undeniable association with this very group to exactly what the CIA has grown in Ukraine. That's what this is. And this is meant to be an effort to, to basically create this psychological operation about, in my opinion, about Russia seeding Nazism in the United States and blaming the right for it, or rather anybody they blame, they call the right. Which is why I said the January 6th was the failed false flag meant to blame Russia and you using the CIA grown Oz Battalion, which probably sounds like lunacy to people who just don't read the source material and even consider the perspective. Either way, it's really interesting how this is playing out. And everything about this feels like a false representation of what they want you to think is happening. All I ask is that you ask that question. Is it possible that all of this is being driven in the direction of, you know, guns are bad. Any of these opinions are all racist, crazy extremism. Any of them. The pedophiles are bad. That people shouldn't be able to do this. That are, you know, that any, anything they're saying. It feels artificial to me. Now, here's where this goes for the next part of it is that we are in a stage right now where not only do we have fake, in my opinion, not even in my opinion, it's verifiable that you have fake entities. We already, even on January 6th, they're being forced to admit that as, as we saw in the beginning, which is denying now in congressional setting, or rather just arguing they can't answer the question, that there was FBI entities and almost ever, there was, how many militias were there again at January 6th? I forget now. I believe that there was three of them that had FBI agents involved. We've proven this. The one obvious one being, what was it, the Proud Boys? With the entity being shown as an FBI informant who then later showed up there and then, then gets used as the reason, like it's called out as one of the groups that are responsible. I mean, it seems pretty obvious. But on top of all of that, it's provable that there was some coordination to the whole thing. So we have real people out there who are either in, in unintentionally or intentionally kind of projecting what they want the other side to think that they are. But then we can step into the world of deep fakes and where this all seems to go. I'm not going to play this. It's ridiculous. The point is, this is a, a, it's a pretty obvious fake too. You can see his mouth move. Where, you know, you can see that the mouth looks a little bit shoddy. But so my point with this, and it's just some joke about Pokemon or whatever. The point here is that you have apps today where people can make this stuff way better than that. Let alone the government, which is what I'm talking about. I don't understand what we haven't seen, which I actually argue we probably have and haven't noticed it yet, that we have deep fakes everywhere. I don't know why this wouldn't have been used already. Every time we see some kind of glitch or down or down, you know, downtime, I, have, I ask what was changed. 
What do they just wholesale alter? Old historical events that we don't think about right now that they just completely altered when, you know, during some kind of video YouTube collapse, YouTube outage, and all of a sudden all these things have been updated, changed so slightly that you'll never notice. Yeah, call me a conspiracy theorist. It's happened throughout history. The old Stalin picture where he literally edited out somebody standing next to him all the way back then. Like, it's so childish how we pretend these things aren't real today. Either way, this is a deep fake of Tucker Carlson saying things that are ridiculous. How long until that becomes something that's actually questionable? Did he do it? Is he lying about it? Is it already happening? Here's another example. Now, this one, by the way, I'm, I haven't even been able to confirm. You can compare, the, other than the fact that I, this isn't the same thing you'll find on the website, which I think is obvious, but again, look into it for yourself. My main part is all of these large right accounts down here Almost like, oh, you keep scrolling. You'll find like all the big names, all these big names down here saying fake, obviously fake. Fake account, deep fake video will make MAGA look like clowns, right? Here's what it says. This is supposed, you, O'Keefe Reborn, which apparently has 10,000 followers, which doesn't really add up. Too shocking to believe. James O'Keefe exposes government conspiracy to frame citizens as January 6th protest. So here we are at a point where we're proving this. Proving. Again, there is no denying the reality that that actually happened. And by the way, that I left out the first time that we have a, a, a provable Ukrainian who is part of the Azov movement on the ground in January 6th. That's this guy. Screaming things in Russian. Which is also on video, which we could prove. But that totally lines up, right? Because it's not like they didn't want you to think Russians were there guiding the Nazi right Republicans, right? That's their narrative is the point. Obviously, guys, there's a thousand reasons this should be questioned. It's obvious. So, when you have them then coming around the other side of it to try to make a fake, which can then be pointed at as a fake, to say, see, they're trying to pretend that January 6th protesters were framed, when the truth is they were, that's how this works. Then people who want to see the truth will see this or you know, and go, oh, that was already debunked, and not even look at what we're actually showing. This is a real thing. It says, this is what Project Veritas didn't want you to see when they ousted me. So he's pretending to be James O'Keefe. This was a setup. And then even Twitter steps in and says, this video has clearly been altered. Examples of an unedited footage. So you can see the difference. So it's obvious this has been manipulated. But then somebody might argue, James, did the bottom line is people are buying it. Holy crap. See, but then some people come, no, it's a deep fake. But see, you already have some of the right who are running with this who then become the right who actually think that. But it's all based on a manipulation from somebody who's trying to trick the right. This is the kind of game they're playing right now. And that I know this is confusing for people that are just hearing this. I'm not saying it's everywhere, but we, as a matter of fact, it's happening to some degree. My question is whether it's everything. The entire thing. Here's one more really creepy example of the where the deep, not even the deep fakes, guys. Just think about how far the deep fake with the chat GPT video thing is about to get into. This is just filters on your phone. Look at this and then realize how much of the world could be faked today from a government, high level, high technologically advanced perspective. You got to love it. If I refresh it, it'll work. But this is, this is, IP direct. I'm telling you. Now, check this out. I'm just going to make this point since I planned to do it before. Watch this. If I do transcript, this will search forever. Or actually, let me refresh it just so you can see that the video comes up. Transcript. It'll search forever. 
it'll literally spin as long as I leave it there, right? You tell me, explain this for me. I take this and I open a private window. Grab it for you so you can see. Okay, open this. Load the video. Watch this. Bing! Instantly on a private window. How's that make sense? Let's try it again just to make sure I'm not wrong. Bing! Instantly. Instantly comes up. Instantly. Okay, now. Back to this. Still searching. Let's refresh and try it again. Transcript. Isn't that strange? Isn't that interesting how it only happens when I'm acting as me on the internet? This is everywhere, guys. Everywhere. Happens on Twitter. Happens on YouTube. Happens everywhere. Individually being censored. Or rather, suppressed. I mean, remember when censorship was a conspiracy theory? Guys, this has been happening forever. And I'm telling you, it is independently directed towards certain people that are downgraded to suppression land where things don't work properly and videos glitch out. It doesn't, that's when you're operating as yourself, which is why I tend to do VPNs and everything. But still, sometimes it's very clear. You don't open an independent window that's private and have it instantly work and not have it work on normal and without obviously knowing what that is. Anyway, back to the point, back to the manipulation world that we are clearly living in. This is what people's phones can do now. I mean, that's not the same person. No, it's not because I have all the tabs open. I love, you know, come on. Give me all the 47 other things you think might be happening, guys, before I, uh, <laughs> sure, ask, think think what you want. I'm promising you I can do the same thing with 150,000 tabs open on any platform and it won't work, right? I mean, look. <laughs> oh, you know what? You can't see it. I mean, the point, it's, it's, the point is the same. Here's an independent window if it makes you feel better. There it is. Look at that. What a magic show. One tab. Oh, but the other tabs are open. Of course. Anything but what I said. But, you know, it could be. Certainly possible. But the reality is, obviously, that this is the same thing, no matter what you do. I can have one tab open, one thing on the one computer. I've done it my entire, ever since YouTube started censoring, that's been happening to me. Whether it was one tab or a thousand tabs, doesn't matter. It's interesting, though, that anybody would even dispute that censorship is even happening. You know, it's just kind of funny. It's obviously, this stuff is being, like, more than just censorship, but, like, straight-up suppression. I actually find that to be more prominent than anything. Like, this, the suppression tactic of slowing down people that are trying to do certain things, right? This is the creepiest. I mean, so, you know, you're on online. I mean, obviously, that looks fake, obviously. But we see all these weird images of women. That's, that's what you're starting to see now on, like, these dating apps or whatever else. Like, weird, filtered looks. But that's what they look like. So if these people can look like that, ask yourself what else is going on. I mean, it's a really, really simple, basic thing that everybody has access to. Now ask yourself what the government can do with high-level technological advancement. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's the world we're getting into, guys. 
So I, I really, I really want just want to reflect on on the possibility that there is a level of this conversation that is being so overly influenced by what they think is the reality. Like, so in, in essence, you could even argue that they don't believe they're acting dishonestly. I mean, well, that's not even true since what they're doing is trying to frame the other side, but they believe they're doing it because that is actually what they're like. That's called lying for your truth, as we've talked about a lot. So it's in, inherently dishonest, but either side is being manipulated by the main manipulator to think that it's the other side doing it. I mean, I, I just, that's, that is happening. The question is how much? Now, quickly talking about some foreign policy notes that I just wanted to include today. Just again, this, and this is where this all, the foreign policy side of this is where this game's been being played for a long time. The fact that it's come home to Americans so strongly shows you that we're, we're at an endgame here. Either way, though, this has been being done to people overseas in your name, if you're an American, your entire life, long before that gaslighting, manipulating, murdering people and calling them terrorists for freedom. Liam McCollum points out Iran and Saudi Arabia agree to avoid interference in each other's affairs. That's interesting. In a joint statement with China as the mediator, both countries signed a non-meddling commitment and agreed to resume diplomacy and open embassies in two months. As he argues, we're watching the end of the unipolar moment, certainly possible. What I argue, or rather just want to consider or talk about, is that a bad thing? Saudi Arabia, so an obvious, at least on the surface, U.S. ally, Iran, an obvious U.S. adversary, and China, an obvious U.S. adversary, working to reestablish connection. Now, on the surface, if you take them at face value, why would anybody have a problem with that? Well, the only reason anybody had a problem with that is for one of two reasons. Either the inherent point is that that actual thing, if that's all that's happening, is bad because they're bad people. Inherently, right? Iran and China are bad, wholesale bad across the board. Therefore, we can't allow them to normalize with people that we work with because that's bad stuff. That's just stupid at the end of the day. These, these governments are no more worse, better or worse than any other government we're looking at. The U.S. government, the, the Israeli government, the governments are out there doing what they want at the expense of human life for the benefit of themselves. So too are all the rest, in my opinion. But at the end of the day, why it would be inherently a negative thing the, or the, rather, the other point would be that there's a secret underdealing here, that it's not really just about deals, it's about undermining the U.S. preeminence, you know, stuff that Americans are like, we don't care, we don't want wars, we don't want, we don't care about what you're doing, other than the hyper-partisan people that scream it's either Russia or China. Most people right now are worried about their own lives, rightly so. So this now being pointed at is interesting because, one, it shows you the U.S. clearly losing its clout, which I do think is an ultimately a good thing. I, but that needs to be, it doesn't need to then coalesce in another direction. Having Iran or China or Saudi Arabia or Russia have that then have that kind of power is the problem. It can't be this situation where one entity controls everybody else. That's just dumb, in my opinion. But you know, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe we'll end up in a multipolar world and everybody will see, realize it was worse than before. I don't have all the answers. But at the end of the day, what I do know is that it's dishonest for a government that is actively doing bad things to people under a guise of doing the right thing to step in and argue that something that may actually cause less tension and less war as a bad thing because it undermines their agendas around the world. I just find that to be very telling. Aaron Mate points out, in the same vein that the U.S. government literally just voted down a measure to withdraw from Syria, as always. 
And even when they actually pretend they do, like in Afghanistan, they really don't, because then it becomes foreign assets and contractors who have never left Afghanistan, which you can easily prove. But they voted 103 to 321, referring to ISIS, Representative Ryan Zinke. So now, now we're back there again, right? Now ISIS, who was so kind to just not do anything for years while we dealt with something else, very kind of them, says we can't withdraw from Syria because either we fight them in Syria or we fight them here. Same old rhetoric. You're with us or you're against us. It's the same stuff that everyone's doing, including in the independent field right now where people are saying, you either think this or you're a shill. Same game, same game. Even if they're right, it's the same game. And it's being done most likely to drive you away from their argument, which has some merit. They don't even realize in those groups that they're being manipulated by the same kind of, I would argue, government driving entities that want to stop us from seeing the reality of things. But either way, fight them at home. We'll fight them here. So you're arguing that somehow they're going to like, I mean, look, the argument that this is this government-created entity that's being funded, armed, and moved around by the government is somehow going to do that unless they want them to is ridiculous in my mind. But as he points out, Aaron points out that he borrowed that line from Adam Schiff about Russia. He did. They just repeat the same things. It's right there. Either way, Nadler then says, U.S. is, quote, defending the Kurds, another argument they love, except they throw them under the bus every 30 seconds they don't need them anymore and step back up and pretend we need to support them when they want to. From certain slaughter at the hands of Persmerga. The Turks are supporting the Persmerga. Am I saying it correctly? Actually, I don't think I've said it out loud before. Red Persmerga. The point is that we've talked about this before. And the idea that, first of all, the, Turkey is a, is a NATO ally. It's a U.S. ally. And the idea that we're talking about defending a U.S. entity from out entities from within a NATO ally, it's backward. And it's probably an illusion. I mean, in, in the sense that it's what they want. I, I do think Turkey is doing these things. I think the U.S. doesn't care about the Kurds. But it says they're Iraqi Kurds. He says, I think he mixed them up with U.S.-backed moderate rebels, Turkish proxies. He also invokes Israel. The point is he doesn't know what he's talking about. But my point is about Turkey and the Kurds and the fact that that's been an ongoing problem, not specifically for Shmurga. But the point is that overall, it's these guys are just saying whatever they can say to maintain your perception that we need to be occupying illegally a foreign country. It's just mind-blowing that people are stupid enough to fall for these morons constantly doing the same things over and over and uh, and not even in the united states here's an example outside the united states at least in my opinion as i as i pointed out regime change georgia regime change in action here's a video the same kind of like a kind of january 6th model all over again right around the same time frame that's happening in georgia this was on the 9th of march here's something you might find interesting though Georgia withdraws foreign influence bill, but opposition vows more protests. So first of all, it's based on this bill, which was arguing they were going to label people working in the country as foreign influence if they had more than 30% funding from outside. You know, U.S. government, USAID, stuff like that, right? Not about trying to, like the way it's being framed from outside is like stopping a, like, the, like as if the U.S. presence or outside presence is inherently altruistic and anybody fighting that is against the country's interests. It's just these are the kind of people that have allowed all of the destabilization and and, and created the kind of fake protests and shooting of civilians to justify, like in Ukraine, like in Syria, what they want to do there. And as you can see, the legislation would have required, oh, excuse me, 20 percent. Any organization receiving 20 percent or more of their annual income from abroad to register as foreign agents. Do you realize there's only a few places where that's even really happening? They're talking about the U.S. government. 
They're talking about U.S. aid or different kinds of entities that operate under a guise of aid or support when really it's just about regime change. As this, as they've openly said about their own tactics that they do today, what the CIA used to do in clandestine fashion. They've openly said that. They just argue it's for a greater good. Either way, right after this happens is when the protest breaks out. Fear that it would drive a wedge between Georgia and Europe. Protesters have been seen waving the flag of the European Union and of Ukraine. Great. So now you've got a group out there protesting apparently for Georgia, even though the bill was was defending Georgia, and out there waving a flag of European Union, the United States, and Ukraine. Because that sounds like it's organic, doesn't it? I mean, this is just a blatant... They don't. I don't think they know how to do anything else. People don't buy this anymore. And then here, as somebody pointed out, couldn't USAID make it at least less obvious that they're involved in this Maidan 2.0 in Georgia? This is a USAID video about exactly what we're talking about. We're fighting for freedom and repression. It's the same game over and over. Am I arguing that the government there is not rife with problems like ever? No, I'm not. But the idea that the U.S. government and outside entities can make this happen so easily is exactly why China and Russia have made sure these entities aren't allowed in their countries anymore. In no way is that an implication that they're good or bad or otherwise. It's just an obvious fact. Now, here is Ukraine media going, oh, my God, they're using real weapons and here's proof they shot somebody. Are you going to trust Ukraine media that's been pushing things like the ghost of Kiev and the lies about children being raped by Russian soldiers? You know, the same things. That we, but here they are telling you, we've got evidence in Georgia all of a sudden because they're pausing their coverage of the Ukraine war that they're supposed to be overwhelmed with. I mean, we're being manipulated. That's my opinion. What in the hell? <laughs> you got to be kidding me. God, that's frustrating. I don't know why that just happened. See, this is glitching out on me. God, man. I just don't even... Anyway, you don't need to worry about it. So let me just refresh this, seeing as how... It was highlighted and something glitched out on the thing, but whatever. I kind of remember where we were going. This is interesting. Florida politics. Christina Pusha registers as foreign agent, citing prior work for ex-Georgian president. Governor DeSantis press secretary previously worked for a former Georgian president which is interesting to me. She registered as a foreign agent who worked on behalf of the Ukra- of a Ukrainian politician. I find that very interesting, whether it's a left or right politician, that you have a, somebody working for a high-level politician in this country who's about to run for president who was literally once working on behalf of a Ukrainian politician, an ex-Georgian president who is a Ukrainian politician. It's saying right here, they was hired as dissent as his press secretary in May 2021. She told Florida politics none of her work with this person was related to her job in Florida. The person she helped, Michael, uh, no, it's right here, the Saakashvili, is politically allied directly to Vladimir Zelensky in Ukraine. Isn't that concerning to Republicans? I mean, I don't understand why that's not a problem. By the way, though, you could draw all sorts of parallels with probably every other person running for president, just to make sure that's also understood. But a close, the person he worked, a close ally of Zelensky. She recently disclosed this, and she didn't even realize, apparently, that she'd recently learned that this was a problem. I don't understand how that makes sense. You mean the act of 1938? You're only just realized that working on behalf of a foreign entity? Come on. That means they were trying to hide this, as far as I'm concerned. My opinion. 
bear with me as I make do for the highlighting going away. But trust me, I'm trying to work out the kinks. I've got multiple things that just keep not working. I don't understand it. Anyway, he is now working as the National Reform Council in Ukraine. He's the chair right now in Ukraine. The work involved dealing with the media, similar to what she does right now for DeSantis. And then finally it says in the timeline, these clothes are tied, it says right here, that the work for, uh, what well, bottom line, at the end of the day, I missed something, I'm sure. DeSantis, for his part, brushed off the scrutiny as a character attack, which it certainly could be, especially those out there that are wild, you know, pro DeSantis. Now Trump's all of a sudden the bad guy. will think this is, you know, how dare I even cover this, which is kind of the way this partisanship works in the two-party paradigm. But, you know, you of course we'll cover it because it's something we should cover. Obviously, this is the truth. So why wouldn't it matter? It's concerning to me. Why that would be something that would be acceptable to anyone is beyond me. We're talking about a foreign government, especially one like Ukraine. Well, going forward anyway, U.S. believes Russia is trying to incite another insurrection against the government of Moldova, according to CNN, of course. And somebody also commented, just in, U.S. attempting to use Russia as false flag while inciting insurrection against the government of Moldova. I mean, the point is, historically speaking, why you would assume what they're telling you is the truth is ridiculous. Every single time this happens, you can prove that they're, mis at the very least, withholding something from you. Bottom line, CNN doing what it always does, blindly regurgitates what the government says, because that's journalism these days. U.S. believes, as you can see very clearly, White House officials said, great job, guys. Way to fact check those things. They love to fact check peer-reviewed science, but they won't fact check the government. Of course not, because the government does what they want. The point is that this is about Russia-linked individuals. Now, this is the game we keep telling you they're doing. What do they, what do they mean by Russian-linked? The U.S. is also seeing signs that a Russian government-linked actors could provide training. That's it. So, oh, what, okay, you have evidence of Russian-linked individuals doing that? No, no, they're working to do so. Okay, where's the evidence of that? Well, it's possible. So, there's the evidence. That's actually what's happening. So they just want, they're just driving in this idea with zero evidence. Well, they might do it. So let's write an entire article how they're working to do so because the government says it's possible. That's actual, that is the level of corporate journalism today. That's disgusting. These people are children. Either way, it's certainly possible. But I, I'd like evidence, even even possible, like even, even observational, like secondhand evidence would do. But no, no, not just, just that it could happen one day. Therefore, they're working towards it right now. <laughs> Great job, CNN. Either way, the point is this is everywhere. That we have the obvious examples of the U.S. government working with entities like Israeli government and U.K. government working to undermine, destabilize people that they don't want to work with, or rather they see as undermining what they want to happen. Here's the Israeli defense minister openly telling you, in English, by the way, that they might have to invade Iran just because it's you know, they're discussing their possible important decisions. Now, yes, you could argue this is about talking about all the options on the table, which they love to do. But Israel usually kind of is a little bit different the way they present these things. My point is that if they're saying this, it's a real possibility here. They're, they're actually trying to drive, which they always have been, U.S. action on Iran. And now, it's, now we got the most openly fascist government in Israeli history, and wouldn't surprise me. All that going forward, this is the two-party illusion, uh, you know, psychological operation game being played like we showed you in the beginning on foreign policy. But the point is, all of this is now happening to you. 
right now, whether you're in any one of these other locations dealing with the other things we're talking about in Silicon Valley, or if you're in Ohio, I feel like there is an outright active attack on you from your government, not outside parties. That's my opinion. I mean, obviously could be, but if we can't stand back and realize that your government if you're an American is actively doing this stuff to you and blaming whoever they can, then you're just, you are choosing to ignore the facts on the table. This is my interview that I really hope you'll watch. Brian Festa, the lawsuit against the EPA for criminal malfeasance in East Palestine. Now, and I actually wrote this, I'm arguing like the literal legal definition of malfeasance, not even just the term they use for, you know, like the, there's an actual legal term. And this is that I think it applies perfectly. Now, either way, I'm glad this is happening because it's obvious based on the information we can see, guys, that this is outrageous. Now, I want to go over just a couple quick things on on his report here. This this is the actual filing, you know, in the District of Ohio. It's We the Patriots USA. It's the uh, the nonprofit and actually Courtney Fish or a.k.a. Courtney Miller as the plaintiffs versus largely the EPA, both federal and local, but also Michael Stanley Reagan in his official capacity, Mike DeWine, as well as Ann Vogel. All of them are directly cited in this, but in their official capacity, not personally, which is important. So I'm just going to kind of read through some of these things that I, I don't want to I don't want to hi- highlight or kind of, you know, lose it. So I have this written down that I'm just going to kind of read through it. You guys can just, you know, search for these if you'd like. But here's what he finds in this kind of time, the timeline and how this in many ways actually does seem to contradict the stated reality. Actually, give me 10 seconds. And we're back. Okay. So this, I think, is important. And, I mean, you guys have seen the coverage already. I think this is very clear. It's obvious there's something. We just wait till we get some of these videos next. It's heartbreaking what's happening to these people. So, chemicals spill directly following the derailment. Even this in the beginning I find interesting because it seems that there's some a little bit of conflation about how exactly this was leaking. Like, was it leaking immediately? Was it leaking after the crash and for how long? And then how many were leaking? And did they need to dump all of them and burn them? So chemicals spilled directly following the derailment. This is on the third. And as he states, and this is according to the documents that they can prove, like the court filing that they've taken from the reports. Now, again, reports can be lies too. But cars were on fire on the third. Now, we kind of know that we saw the sparking of the, the wheels and so on, or the, the arguments about it, you know, for miles before it, and, and it caught on fire, right? So it derails on the third, and they were already on fire. And as we know, as I said, the chemicals were spilling right when that happened. So the very first thing to think about is that means that toxic chemicals were burning all the way until the sixth, and to some degree, which then created a plume before the larger plume that we see in the imagery, the big one that we see as a result of their burning the vinyl chloride, or at least whatever they tell us was vinyl chloride. But so it's interesting to think for three days, that means that there was, and this is when they told people to evacuate, right? So they knew this was a problem. That was already happening. There was already a problem right there that went a long way. Then on the 6th, they decided to burn or rather, again, April, February 4th, in between that, is when they said shelter in place, which is strange, by the way. So why would they tell the closest people to shelter in place, but yet evacuate everyone that could within a mile? 
That's odd to me. So the it was the malfunctioning safety valve that prevented the release of the chemical inside one tanker, they said. But the proof shows you that there was only one that was leaking, yet they decided to vent all four of them. Actually, we can prove that with their documentation. So if there was only one of them that was threatening to explode, their argument is that was enough justification, the threat, not that they knew for sure. I guess you could argue that they are experts. They would know the pressure building and so on, that the release valve didn't work. Therefore, they knew it. they thought it was going to explode. So they decided to dump it all on the ground and burn it. But my point was they had time during that frame. Clearly, this was on the between the third and the sixth. They went until the sixth before they chose to burn it. So that means that they could have put stuff on the ground. Aaron Brockovich points this out. They chose not to. But they led to what they called the controlled burn, which was nothing of the kind. My question, though, is does does that imply that had, that had this not been an issue, right? Had that not the valve not been prevented, would they have just continued to let it leak and burn? Because it kind of seems to be the implication, right? If it was leaking when it first crashed, it was already on fire, and they were just and the only reason they decided to dump it all and burn it was because there was one valve that wasn't automatically releasing. It kind of seems to stands to reason that they were just let it continue dumping and burning and continuing the original plume and trying to deal with it as they could. Like, doesn't that seem to suggest that on the surface, they were only concerned about what they were dealing with, what they could save as opposed to the risk of people's lives and danger. I mean, that's obvious, I think, but on the fifth, the EPA reported no concerns of contamination on the fifth. Now understand that became the standing talking point going forward. And understand why that's important. It's because on the 5th, they hadn't vented, they hadn't dumped and burned it yet. So on the 5th, they case no reports. Everybody's fine. On the 6th, they gave people a less than five-minute warning, and this is provable. So the people that were in a shelter-in-place order were, sta- were in their homes or, you know, I don't know, walking around outside. The point, they weren't told to, they, the point was these people weren't explicitly in their homes. They were just, they, they were, people were out and about, and this was proven. Five-minute warning, they dump this all, burn it. And that's when you get the real problem. The thing that went apparently hundreds of miles. The, the ash and the burn and went really far. As it says here, the toxic cloud physically encompassed at least 30 miles. Yet one mile zone? The actual physical cloud proven in the court documents. 30 miles. Now, whatever was burned from that or whatever was already burning before that. But the dioxins, the the Benzene, we're going to talk about a lot of different things today in regard to these chemicals, but all these different things have been shown to be problematic. And yet, right then forward, they told people, you're good to go. Still banking on the fifth, saying that there was no test, no concerns for testing the air. Now, the point was that it'd be immediate, like right out of the gate, we saw vinyl chloride or whatever possible vinyl chloride, the signs of that poisoning everywhere. Everywhere. The, the rashes, all this different stuff, and they were just simply told, you're wrong. So they're dealing with this. They're all seemingly ubiquitously having the symptoms that are exactly correlated with what exactly they burned, and they just go, no, 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 you're wrong. Seems pretty ridiculous. Now it says just one pound of vinyl chloride. I actually want to show you this one. This is is written down right here, and this is important. Just one pound of vinyl chloride released into the atmosphere can contaminate five acres to a level of two parts per million. Now realize we're talking about with a lot of these parts per billion, 
at least with the dioxins, they talk about one part per billion being the danger level, rather whether they need to do something to clean up the area. Well above OSHA's prescribed standard for prolonged human exposure. That's with one pound of vinyl chloride. Upon information, and well, they write that in every one of them, like, so they got information and then belief from what people have seen and so on. The train derailment and resulting toxic chemical explosion released, rather burn, released approximately 100 million pounds of vinyl chloride in the atmosphere. Or rather, I would argue that was what was burned, which then produced at least, I mean, arguably more than one pound. Right. I mean, if we're bur- it's obvious that this is more than level of two parts per million. If only one pound can cause a five acre area to be well above the level. And all these things, every single thing we do on this topic seems to be like no brainer. It's obvious. And then we're just not engaging with it. It's kind of mind blowing how obvious this is. Now, on February 7th. Both EPAs informed the public that they might smell chemical odors. Don't forget, we already told you that the experts on the ground are telling you once you've smelled it, specifically vinyl chloride, that you're already compromised. They told them, don't worry, you're going to smell it, but that it's no cause for concern because the release contaminants had low odor thresholds. They lied. Blatantly. It says, in other words, a person could smell them before they posed a serious health risk. That statement was blatantly inaccurate and was designed to do nothing more than to deal with a burgeoning public and political pressure. All this is in the, in the, in the, the filing. In fact, air monitoring teams quickly turned tail and ran when they smelled chemicals during the Valentine's Day inspection. What does that tell you? On February 8th, state officials lifted the evacuation order. February 8th, pointing at the thing they said on the 5th, going, oh, there's no evidence of any contamination. On February 10th, residents returned to their homes, began to report rashes, sore throats, nausea, headaches within 30 minutes of returning. And this is this is not even talking about the animals in the parks and the people cleaning up the area all around this people 40 miles away being able to smell things. EPA ignored this, dismissed it, despite the actual things they're having being perfectly lined up with the symptoms you would expect from what they say happened. On February 14th, the EPA discontinued their phosgene and hydrogen chloride community air monitoring, but they continued 24-hour community monitoring for other chemicals. The way they play the game with what they're testing and how they're testing, deliberately testing the surface of the water as opposed to the bottom, which we now know they were doing, that's that's a fact, is guaranteeing a lesser result. On February 15th, the wine said East Palestine water was safe to drink, but did not inform the public that potentially contaminated soil could still pose a risk to the water going forward. He argues, oh, it's safe. But they don't know for sure that what is one, that it might not be more problematic underneath, which they're not really testing for. But on top of that, that the soil could, could eventually make it more of a problem later. They just want you to think it's all good. Go back to sleep. The EPA's employed, has employed, uh, oh, they, they, they use what is known as real-time air monitoring. And surface sampling. These are instantaneous readings that measure the exposure of chemicals collectively rather than by specific contaminants. That's the VOC's conversation. By collectively measuring air contamination, the EPA refused to deploy the most reliable testing possible, despite knowing that these tests were inaccurate. They were only doing surface water testing. And and they should have been doing what's called time-weighted average testing, but they didn't do that. Both the EPAs, as they argue in the, in the lawsuit, have failed completely to conduct any testing for dioxins. 
as we know, and have, have discontinued most of their critical air quality testing while telling residents that their homes are safe. Now, understand there's been independent testings by Norfolk that have been hired to test for dioxins, which they've put a report out, which I don't know if I believe, quite frankly, but they have found every one that they searched for. Well, there's a question to be had again, whether that was already there beforehand. And that's probably why they knew that when they chose to burn this. But the reality is that that's still compromised being hired by somebody who has a vested interest in keeping this quiet. The EPA has not done that yet. Tested these things. Now, Courtney Fish or Courtney Miller, she hired a private contractor to take water and air samples on her property. A person that she believes uh, upon, upon oh, the, oh, the point was that, that she hired somebody independent as far as she could tell. Now, a person hired by Norfolk Southern or the EPA entered her property without permission. And I'm going to show you a video of this happening today or a couple days ago without permission and then proceeded to attempt to interfere with the sampling being done by the people she hired. Now, apparently those results are, are, are I asked about it in the interview and he kind of was like, okay, we can't get into that. So apparently there's something found there that is going to be relevant in the, in the lawsuit, which is probably the main part of this. Either way, they tried to stop it from happening. This is just obviously being corrupted, obviously being covered up. Scott C. Smith is another independent tester who is on the ground there. I reached out to him via DM uh, a couple days ago. He had said he got right back to me and said, hey, I'll, I'll, I'll call you tomorrow. And we, have, we haven't connected yet. I'm, I'm trying to get a hold of him because I really like to get his opinion on what he's finding there. But here's a couple videos from him. Or rather, uh, let's see. Well, I don't want, I'll, I'll leave it here. But the point is he's got his, on his channel, you can check it out. He's got his testing where you can see him doing testing. Now, as I said, does this feel normal to anyone? Even for a chemical disaster. From the beginning, this has been a cover-up. Now, watch the way that this woman responds. It doesn't feel normal to me. This feels very strange. At the very least, she doesn't feel that she can be honest with this individual, even though she's on his property. You're on, you're on private property here. It's kind of low on her end, but she's saying, I'm just asking if you've taken samples. Uh, uh, I'm not, uh, I just like you refer me to your public information officer. Have you taken samples? I can't answer any of your questions. You can't. I can't answer any of your questions. Why is that? Why would there be some kind of lockdown on whether or not they're doing anything? The only reason that makes sense is because there is a cover-up happening because some, at some level, they want to withhold information because they're worried how it will be taken. That's not how you deal with this when you are, you're arguing that it's in the best interest of the people, that you're trying to do what's right for them. Well, then why should I answer any of your questions? Because of what? We need to know who's coming and going on this They need to know who's coming and going. But this is private property. here. You're standing on private property right now. I'm sorry, but I just, I need to know. That's creepy, but I'm sorry, but I need to know. Like, you can't explain to me why you need to know? Now, maybe there's another explanation, but this feels creepy, doesn't it? Um, I have to check with my public information officer. Okay. You're on private property. I'm sorry. Oh, oh you're sorry? <laughs> so we don't care. We're above that law. How in the world you're just going to walk right back into my property? That's not going to fly. Like, that's crazy. And this is my point about how even in this world we live in, or rather the current state, at least in the United States, you don't know anything. 
if the government can eminent domain or, you know, whatever else, we just can step over that. And this only applies when we want it to. What do you mean you're sorry? <laughs> like, clearly she does not worry about this. She thinks she can go right over it. Um, the landowner doesn't want you trespassing. Wow. Pretty nuts. Here is a sad example also from Scott C. Smith of just a local news report telling you what you're not going to hear on the corporate news, that people are suffering. This is on the 10th of March. Palestine residents still trying to get their lives back on track, and they're still short of answers as to how. The EPA is stepping up and try to help them get the resources they need. Kelly Kennedy was there. She continues our team coverage. Dozens of people came out to the East Palestine High School gym desperate for answers. A lot of people tell me they still don't feel safe. And many people still complaining of respiratory symptoms and rashes. Some people telling me they never miss one of these events because they say every piece of information is valuable. Without them, we would know nothing. So I think the volunteers, the people that have come into the city, have really helped. On Thursday... All right, so just to understand what she's saying, they're relying on people that are doing this of their own volition. They're, the government, the EPA, Norfolk, they're not telling them anything. And I'm going to play you something next that's going to make that very clear. Despite what you get told. That's always how this works. Narrative control. Oh, you want to you be told what the government of Israel just said? No, listen to what they just said. You'll find out it's directly the opposite of what they want you to think they just said. That's how this game works. If you listen to the people on the ground and don't let your partisan lens make you go, oh, he's probably making this up for some other reason, you can guess all day long. The reality is blatantly on the surface. They're not getting told what's going on. They're being told that they're safe when it's clear that that's not the case. And then that's just where it lays. Anybody at speaking out is being irresponsible by asking questions, medical misinformation, YouTube censoring it. Why? The EPA, the CDC, Norfolk Southern, local health departments, and more were set up in the school gym. The goal to connect residents with everything from financial assistance to health care, hotel accommodations, therapy, and private air and well water testing. I just, I don't feel comfortable here. And if we had kids, which we don't, um, I, I wouldn't feel comfortable having them playing outside and stuff. And I just want to be able to get answers. So to know what our future is going to be like here. And just to be clear, even this event right there, that's not what's happening. They're not getting answers. They're getting, you know, here is about, you know, you can fill out this paperwork for insurance or get your well tested. That's not what they want to know what's going on. Where are you, where, what is that woman doing in my yard? What are you currently testing for? What's the last test you did and what are the numbers you're finding? They're not being told any of this. And anywhere you ask, that's what they're going to tell you. Kristen Battaglia says her eight-year-old son spent last night in the emergency room. She says his health problems started after the derailment. My son was in the ER yesterday for his, both nostrils were bleeding for two days straight. Both nostrils, nostrils bleeding for two days straight. Now, sure, something else could cause that. But when you have the same thing happening every other house and you have people with headaches and nausea and rashes on their faces and it's all and they're all being told it's in their minds or they're lying or whatever else, it sounds pretty familiar. And he's very sick. Battaglia says because she lives a little over a mile from where the train derailed, no one had come to her home to test. But then <laughs> she met Scott Smith. He was the first person out of anyone um, being 1.3 miles away from the derailment site that has come to our home at all. 
That's the guy we're talking about. That's Scott Smith who's testing there. An independent person of his own volition is the only person that has tested their health. Think about that. I mean, even to check on us, to give us information, we've had no one. Scott Smith with Eco Integrated Technologies is donating free soil, water, and air testing for all East Palestine residents. I've been in over 60 disasters, and I understand the playbook. And the playbook is basically the simple thing. You cannot find what you don't look for. And we are looking for all the full spectrum of chemicals. Mark Durno. I mean, he's, he's telling you right now that they're choosing to be opaque about it and broad because they know how to play this game. What the EPA says, they're working to get more answers for residents. After pushback from the public, Durno tells me the EPA is now starting a soil testing program. Oh, good. Oh, good. Good thing it took them a month. Great job, guys. You really care about the environment and safety. They will be testing for dioxins. We should start getting data in, sample results in, probably within the next week to two weeks. Great. Okay, here's the EPA. That's the This is the coordinator for the EPA telling you from today. So we're talking, what, at the end of March? Great. So it happened on February 3rd. It's going to take two months to find out whether they're already got cancer. Good job, guys. That should have been immediate, and they know that. I mean, it's a fair question to ask why in the world they would choose not to do it until now. That just doesn't make sense. There's no way around that. Either they were some kind of financial incentive or being pressured or being threatened, or this is about making this happen. I mean, I don't know how else to see this. And when that happens, it'll better inform the community as to whether or not we have problems. Reporting in East Palestine. We'll ignore the the bloody noses and headaches and rashes. We're only going to, once we find it, then we'll know. No, no, no. You know what's happening. You know what's happening. My guess is you're going to find what you want to find. Just like he said, you'll only find what you look for. Now, here is an alarming example of how the experts are telling you that this is a bad idea. What they're doing is bad. What they're doing. Now, here's the thing to think about in the context of what he just said. So they're shipping all this stuff already. Right? They're shipping all this soil. Why? To be taken care of? Okay, what if it's full of dioxins? Guess what? They don't know because they haven't tested. So the point is, it's already being dealt with. So how is that responsible? How are you going to ship a bunch of stuff in other cities to be dealt with when you don't even know if it's going to be dealt with properly because you haven't found out what's in it? There's no there's nobody who can argue that that makes sense. Horrifying, says this expert. Contaminated soil from the site around the East Palestine train wreck in Ohio is being sent to a nearby incinerator with a history of clean air violations. No, no, not the one we talked about in Michigan. That's mentioned here. We're talking about the ones now in Ohio that they got reverted back to. Oh, another one. Guess what? Another one that has a history of violations for exactly what they're doing to help people in Ohio. Raising fears that the chemicals being removed from the ground will simply be redistributed across the region. You know why they're worried about it? Because they haven't tested to find out what's in it. But yet they're going to burn it to take care of what's in it. Even though some things in it aren't taken care of without very specific treatments and temperatures. But let's just do it anyway. Quickly, get it out of the way. Everything about this is obvious. If you just care and can see past politics. The new plan is horrifying, says Kyla Bennett, a former EPA official who now works with public employees for environmental responsibility. Quote, why on earth would you take this already dramatically overburdened community and ship this stuff a few miles away, which is now what's happening, only to have it deposited right back where it came from? Incinerating the soil is especially risky because some of the contaminants that residents and independent chemical experts fear is in the waste, like dioxins and something we haven't even gotten into yet, PFAS, 
forever chemicals haven't been tested for and they do not incinerate easily. You know why they probably haven't tested them like plenty of experts have pointed out? Because this stuff is everywhere because they know it's everywhere and they don't care. Everywhere you look, you're going to find dioxin levels that are above what they tell you is safe. Everywhere you look, you're going to find PFAS, forever chemicals, above what they tell you is safe. Everything you look in that you're putting on your body, you're probably going to find things like benzene that's way above what we know is safe. Why is that all happening? Because the Environmental Protection Agency or the CDC or the FDA is watching out for you? Clearly not. But now, now we're starting to pay attention to it. And now they're going to go, well, you're right. Here's how we fix it. Why would we let the people who let this happen, who closed their eyes to it, who allowed you to get sick and tell you the cancer was because of what you, some other thing, the sun, that's why. Why would you let them fix, in quotes, the problem they let happen or created or drove forward? Who knows? Because that's easily what's going to happen. Whether this was by design or not, it's going to be used to justify the next thing they want to do. But my point is, once they test and find these things, that exponentially increases the problem. It exponentially increases the risk and the money and the time and everything else they have to do. Special locations, special processes. Well, guess what? They know it's everywhere. So they're clearly dragging their feet because they don't want they test. Well, now they're stuck having to deal with what they know is everywhere. But see, they already know that it's everywhere, so they're not worried about it because you're already being suffering from it or you're already suffering from it. Right? So... If they test, they're, they're going to have to deal with what they already knew was there. So they're hoping you just let it go and it continues to be an everywhere problem. And guess what? We all make more money from cancer sales and, you know, that's, excuse Freudian, well, really, what cancer sales is a better way to put it. Cancer treatment sales, pharmaceuticals, just my thought. Either way, it's saying that they haven't been tested for them. They don't, they don't incinerate easily. Or, by the way, like many doxins, oh, you've got it. Okay, good. thought I lost it. Or cannot be incinerated. That's important. So her point is if they're going to burn things with levels of dioxin that literally can't be incinerated or forever chemicals that literally can't be incinerated, all they're going to do is burn it, put it in the air and settle it back around to Ohio. She says, as the fire threatened to ignite tankers full of the chemical days later, emergency responders, again, they say fearing a major explosion conducted a controlled burn. That's not what happened. Everything, that's the narrative they're spinning. It's not. Environmental researchers say the combustion of vinyl chloride almost certainly created dioxins. I mean, this is on The Guardian. I, we said this has been the same point since the beginning of this. They knew that. They've known it the entire time. Why then didn't they do anything? Because of what we just said. A highly toxic chemical that can remain in the environment for years. However, the EPA, again, proving what we're saying, has simply resisted calls to test for what they know is there. And the agency removed from its website the results of its in-depth soil analyses. Why does that make sense? So they claim it's unclear which chemicals are in the soil. So the EPA not only doesn't do what, what they know they should, they then go as far as to remove the results that show most likely what they don't want you to see. And you following so far? Everyone clear on how obviously this is being manipulated? Quote, my concern is basically, do we just translate the issue that's right now in the soil into another medium by blowing it into the air? That's not necessarily the case, she says, but I'm not sure that we can exclude at this point because she's right. We don't know what's in it. Neither do they, or at least they're not telling you. The ground also likely contains PFAS, informally called forever chemicals, because they do not naturally break down and no human-made method to destroy the compounds has ever been fully developed. They know about this. They know it's a problem. They know why it's happening. And guess what? They err on the side of profit and corporate corporate needs. That's why. They've known this has been a topic forever. And it's a big deal, actually, which I'll quickly point out next. But the problem is they just let it keep happening. 
The same thing we keep pointing out is you can find a hundred times the safe level of dioxins in 1995 in the food you're eating at McDonald's, but they never changed the process. They never changed anything. You can find the level of the, the, the breast milk in an Arctic town all the way up in, you know, all in the middle of nowhere, 500 kilometers from any source of dioxin, but they've got the highest concentration. Why? Because the wind currents take it all the way from the United States, proven by peer-reviewed science. Yeah, but don't worry. The dioxins burned here don't go that far. Of course they do. Thousands of miles, according to CNN. Quote, the effectiveness of incineration to destroy PFAS compounds and the tendency for formation of fluoride, fluoridated and mixed halogenate, halogenated organic byproducts is not well understood, according to the EPA. So they're straight up telling you, yeah, we don't even know. <laughs> but we're going to just burn it and see what happens. Still, it is putting residents' health at risk by sending potentially PFAS-contaminated, dioxin-contaminated soils to an incinerator that most likely won't deal with the problem. They probably know that, probably don't care. Quote, the most important thing in my mind, she says, is the health of the, of the human health and health of the environment. So right now, that should be priority number one. And things like this, like what the EPA is doing, according to the former EPA official, flies in the face of basic human decency and science. Here's the interesting part to me. I want to keep doing that. Oh, I see what's happening. Okay, so here, this, I forget I'm using the other highlighter. It's confusing me. So here's the important part, I think. The incinerator, owned by Heritage Thermal Services, is already burning PFAS waste from the Department of Defense. This is my point they keep making. The, we keep trying to focus on your car or your different, the, the individual problem. The governments and the corporations are the biggest polluters on the planet. Right this moment, and for a long time now, the Department of Defense has been knowingly burning PFAS, which they know that's not dealing with properly, which promoted a federal lawsuit from the Coalition of Local Environmental Groups. Guess what happened? Absolutely nothing. Heritage also faced an investigation and enforcement action from the EPA in 2015 after officials determined the facility had violated the Clean Air Act. That's the one they're using right now, guys. Nearly 200 times just between 2010 and 2014. In a process of four years, the group they're using right now to take care of things they don't even know what's in violated the Clean Air Act 200 times. This is how this works. They're using people they know are morally ambiguous. People they know will look the other way. That's my opinion. Among the chemicals that had been released at dangerous levels, of course, was dioxin. And among the issues, and we're talking about this, by the way, the Department of Defense choosing to burn things they know can't be taken care of properly. And the point is they release dioxins. They know that. And among the issues cited by the EPA were a failure by Heritage Thermal Services to maintain the required minimum temperature, raising questions about whether the facility can even handle more dioxins or PFAS waste. Right now. So they know that. The EPA knows that. The government knows that. And they go, that one right there. Use that one. I mean, that's what happened, right? They said, no, not the Michigan, not Texas. Use this one right here. Why would that be? The facility has also recorded air quality violations in eight of the last 12 quarters. Right, so literally in the most recent history, they are, what is that, like 75% breaking the law? Really? Right now, that's according to the EPA records, but the EPA says that one. Let's use the most criminal group we can find. Look, it says local environmental groups have been fighting with Heritage specifically over its emissions since the incinerator was built in 1990s. 
So since its inception, it's been a problem, probably for this very same reason, because just like near Neil Ferguson's hired to lie just the way they want people to lie, even though he keeps getting caught for being completely wrong, they keep using him. That's how this works too, I think. This is according to Amanda Keeger, director of River Valley Organizing. She's been assisting residents in East Palestine about 15 miles north, but lives near the incinerator in East Liverpool, both of which are in the Columbiana County. Yeah, you know, the county would played from the, the woman, the executive director of the Columbiana Humane Society, telling you that these animals up upwards of hundreds of miles away were being affected by this. Here, by the way, is what we're talking about. These are all the heritage sites. The one they're talking about is right there. That's East Liverpool. Look at how close that is to East Palestine. We're talking right there. So they're going, let's, let's save them by bringing it right here, burning it, and letting it filter back down all around Ohio. That is literally what they're doing now. In, in regard to the location. Now, what ultimately happens, again, depends on what's actually in there. It says environmental officials are just dumping more SHIT on Columbiana County. And that was an area that was affected by what happened there in the first place. It says they say we already poisoned them, so it doesn't matter if we poison them more. That's one person's opinion. But the point is that if we know this cloud went that far, they're just, they're just holding on for dear life on that original air test or testing and the idea that the one-mile area is all that matters. That's just narrative. Everything shows you that's not true. East Palestine's waste disposal has raised fresh questions about the disposal of toxic substances. That's the broader idea. That's why I talked about Ohio revelations. This whole thing has begun to open the door to the reality that we're being actively poisoned a thousand different ways, way above what's supposed to be considered the safe level. And they're not telling you that until now. Some of the waste is being sent to incinerators around Ohio, while about 1.5 million gallons of wastewater is being, get this guys, injected into wells deep into the earth's crust near houston i mean like i read that i'm like did i read that wrong deep wells can leak waste into groundwater and are thought to cause earthquakes regardless of any of that the point how in the world are you going to take dangerous wastewater that contains all sorts of chemicals and inject it into wells in the earth in the same area or in another state i mean my god this is, I just, am I crazy? Is there something I'm missing? I don't even know why that even makes sense. Meanwhile, some contaminated soil was shipped into a Michigan landfill. That was before the EPA was like, whoa, no, wait a minute. Everybody's paused now that we're finally doing something and make, now we're going to dictate this after a month. You can't go to Michigan because that place has violations and there's not the right paperwork. That's what happened. Gretchen, Mitch, uh, Gretchen Whitmer, that's, that's the one in Michigan, right? Well, she, whatever, the, the, she spoke up and said, you can't bring it here. A Democrat. So anyway, the point is that this is just all over the map. But the point is, first, they did do that. And they haven't tested for dioxins. So that means they could have contaminated any number of areas between there and back. And they went to that landfill that had a history, specifically of discharging PFAS into public sewer systems. So then they go, okay, fine. We'll go to the other one we know will lie for us. Am I missing something? You went to the two places specifically that have open problems with exactly what you claim you don't want to know is there? A state-of-the-art incinerator in Arkansas is likely equipped to more safely handle this. But guess what? They're not doing that. Why? I think we know why, guys. I really do. 
Now here, corporate America points this out. And again, this is the same. We just went over this with the idea of the, the larger dioxin issue and whether this, as, as Dark Horse podcast points out, whether these corporate entities have just learned how to play this game and learn how to spread out the problem so lo- so far that it kind of blends into the background and they less lawsuit, more human suffering, less awareness, right? As opposed to doing the best to help the situation, which means they get more accountability and more lawsuits. I mean, it's a no-brainer. The government's not going to hold them legally accountable. They do what they want. They know what will make cost the least amount of money. That causes the most human suffering. But the PFAS problem is seemingly now being dredged up with this, which nobody used to care about in the corporate discussion. But as he points out, did you know about the PFAS before? Which we did. We've covered on the show. In doing research for a piece on the chemical incinerator solution to the contaminated soil problem, he's discovered a whole new layer to this. Informally called forever chemicals because bacteria can't eat them. Fire can't incinerate them and water can't dilute them. They persist in soil forever. They're also known as carcinogenic as, as a carcinogen. And what a shocker, PFAS also have pathways for, guess what, guys? Immunotoxicity. We are being poisoned in ways that work for the benefit of the pharma industry. And that's whether that's by choice or by def, by byproduct, it's up to you to decide. Reports are saying this stuff could end up in waterways, which apparently was already a point of contention. This is the reality. So now all of a sudden it gets focused around this one thing, but the truth is this has been here forever. He says also just a thought, it was interesting to note just how many different recent stories there were on PFAS. He Googled this. I mean, it's just the point, this is our point, it's everywhere. And these are new ones, but you can go back as far as you want. And guess what? You'll find out shockingly or not that they're well above what they're supposed to be. So does that mean the EPA is not doing its job or any number? Yes. Why wouldn't they stand up and go, we have a problem. This line is supposed to be the safety line, but they just let it go. I mean, why does Flint not have safe water? <laughs> they don't care about any of us. Now, another example of the same point, and please do larger research on these topics or check out his, his corporate America's work on this. Here's another example of something. We've heard about benzene, right? That's related to this topic. This is March 7th. This, this is just a 2022 article saying, why is cancer causing benzene widespread in personal care products? Something we know is dangerous. Something right now is a big contentious point for what's going on in Ohio. We care suddenly because it went into the air. But what about the skin, the stuff you're spraying on your child? The point is people don't even know about this stuff. How is that possible? Here's another example. Finding benzene everywhere we look. December 2021. Questions pile up as scientists find the carcinogen in more and more consumer products. Where are the government entities that we argue are supposed to keep you safe from this stuff? They're corrupt or never there to begin with. It's that simple. Here is the example from Ohio. Did the same thing on this one. And this is the BBC. Some of the chemicals on board. I'm just going to do this. Some of the chemicals on board listed a bunch of different things and one of them being benzene, right? So that's being focused on this conversation. So let's just quickly look at what benzene's in, according to BBC. It's a colorless or light yellow liquid that can evaporate very quickly. It's one of the most commonly used chemicals in the United States. How is that? It's dangerous. There's not even a debate about it. It is a dangerous thing and is used commonly stuff like plastic, resin, nylon. Well, see, that's why, because these are things that you argue don't completely end up on, you know, in your mouth, on your skin, except that is now what's happening. And they're ending up on, as we're talking about, personal care products. That's a new thing, or reasonably new. Benzene can also naturally occur from uh, different things, burning of different things. That's the main point we're talking about. Exposure to benzene through breathing or ingestion can cause symptoms like drowsiness, dizziness, tremors, vomiting, sleepiness. 
very high levels of exposure can lead to unconsciousness death per the CDC. Long-term exposure of a year or more can cause things like issues with blood, bone marrow, the immune system. End of the day, all of these things, whether we're talking about, you can read through every one of these. And every one of these, the symptoms that you would expect is exactly what they're seeing. And they're all being told they're wrong. Wholeheartedly, you're wrong. Now, unfortunately, I am, I've run out of time for the most part. And I only say that with this one video that I really wanted to play. I'm going to probably just do this in the very next show. But I'm going to include it anyway. Really take the time. Watch this entire video. 14 minutes. I was going to go through pretty much the whole thing. It's, there's some things I disagree with to a degree. But overall, it's everything they're telling you is not happening. This is a local who went back to cover this. Let me just play the beginning clip for you real quick. A neighbor, and right now, he's puking blood. He worked right there in the main part of it. People are going back to work because they have to. They need that money. Not like these big boys in North Fork. Right. Puking blood three days ago. But it's totally good, though. You're safe. Right. But he needs, but he's got to go back to work anyway because he needs money. This is the situation we're being put in by the government, not just in East Palestine, everywhere. That you're desperate. That's the sanction my, n- analogy we've done before, that we are now under the sanctions. So we're so desperate that we take whatever's given to us. The point is, this video goes over all these different examples people telling you that they're being lied to, they're not getting answers, that they won't even respond to them, except the CNN and Fox News tell you a different story. Now, I will come back to this. I'm, I mean, we're going to keep covering the story in general. But to finish the last segment, I want to make a clear point about where this is all going. The obvious reality of where this is, the, the extremes of specifically the Great Reset direction and how this all is driving us in the direction of accepting this future. Now, they're not hiding this future from you. But they will tell you right now, if you look into it, think tanks and other things, is they need some kind of catalyzing event. Some, you know, destruction or necessity for why this needs to be driven in so we'll accept it. It's all right there on the surface. Here's what Deb points out. While we're worried about the First Amendment rights, this is what they're doing. And as she, the quote she puts in here, I'm giving you the positive use cases. Why? Well, because I don't want the, the reaction to be, let's ban this. But here is what they're openly telling you is the direction of what they want for you and your family. What if it could? Oop, that's not right. Here it is. A video. Uh, it's going to make you see the future and understand a wonderful future where we can use brainwaves to fight crime, be more productive, and find love. Let's roll. Sensing your joy, your playlist shifts to your favorite song. Sending chills up your spine as the music begins to play. You glance at the program running in the background on your computer screen and notice a now familiar sight that appears whenever you're overloaded with pleasure, your theta brainwave activity decreasing in the temporal regions of your brain. You mentally move the cursor to the left and scroll through your brain data over the past few hours. You can see your stress levels rising as the deadline to finish your memo approached, causing a peak in your beta brainwave activity right before an alert popped up, telling you to take a brain break. Your mind starts to wander to the new colleague on your team, whom you know you shouldn't be daydreaming about, given the policy against intra-office romance. But you can't help fantasizing just a little. 
But then you start to worry that your boss will notice your amorous feelings when she checks your brain activity and shift your attention back to the present. You breathe a sigh of relief when the email she sends you later that day congratulates you on your brain metrics from the past quarter, which have earned you another performance bonus. When you arrive at work the next day, a somber... Look at this guy standing over here. What in the world is that? So you're, you're in your cubicle and you're being monitored by some like FBI agent. Like, why is this something that seems like we're like, like an acceptable reality monitoring your brain waves, the, the, the boss making sure you're not thinking certain things like this is exactly what we're telling you. And exactly what they say is fake news. This is horrifying. And this is supposed to be the positive use case. Cloud has fallen over the office along with emails text messages, and GPS location data, the government has subpoenaed employees' brainwave data from the past year. Oh, see, I jumped the gun. I forgot. I've already watched this. I forgot. I've only watched it once, though. So the point is that they're arguing the FBI can step in and seize your brainwave data because they want to find something. Like, that's what we keep talking about. We're talking about about pre-crime. Wait until they tell you you were about to do this because we read your brainwaves. I mean, that's horrifying. They have compelling evidence that one of your coworkers has committed massive wire fraud. Now, they're looking for his co-conspirators. Wow. You discover they are looking for synchronized brain activity between your coworker and the people he has been working with. While you know you're innocent of any crime, you've been secretly working with him on a new startup venture. Shaking, you remove your earbuds. That, that's the end of the video. I'll I'll play with their commentary, but think about how that's the positive use. You end on the note that you're terrified that you might get wrapped into it, even though you didn't do anything wrong. End of video. Hooray. Great future. (laughs) I I just don't even understand. Like somebody's comment, it feels like we're being joked or, 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 you know, played a joke on. Like, seriously, like, how is that portrayed as something anybody wants that you're that you're this is literally a 1984 Orwellian type reality where you're afraid that you might you have to think the right things or you're going to be. I mean, they're this World Economic Forum on the surface telling you this is what they're striving for. Does anybody actually want this other than technocrats and authoritarian leaders? What do you think? Is it a future you're ready for? I mean, they don't even seem like happy about it. That it's a future that has already arrived. Already arrived. Everything in that video that you just saw is based on technology that is already here today. Artificial intelligence has enabled advances in decoding brain activity in ways that we never before thought possible. After all, what you think, what you feel, it's all just data. Data that in large patterns can be decoded using artificial intelligence. We're not talking about implanted devices of the future. Not yet. That's what they tell you is next. But on top of that, remember that the, everything they're talking about is, is, is anathema to, to privacy. Entire, like the literal diamond. Like what they're saying is, well, you know, we get to a place where the idea being that your privacy is counter to what they want to achieve. And then if you want to be private, well, you don't have the society's best interest in mind. That's except, you know, unless you're an elitist technocrat, because then you get to be private. I'm talking about wearable devices that are like Fitbits for your brain. The newest way to monitor attention is through a device like this one. These are ear pods that are launching later this year. These ear pods, much like the video you watched earlier, are ear pods that can pick up brainwave activity and tell whether or not a person is paying attention or their mind is wandering. Okay, 
Well, you might think, fine, but even if we can tell whether a person is paying attention or their mind is wandering, you can't tell what they're paying attention to. You would be wrong. It turns out that you can not only tell whether a person is paying attention or their mind is wandering, but you can discriminate between the kinds of things that they're paying attention to. Whether they're doing something like central tasks, like programming, peripheral tasks, like writing documentation, or unrelated tasks, like surfing social media or online browsing. When you combine brainwave activity together with other forms of software and surveillance technology, the power becomes quite precise. So what do we do with this? What do we do with technology that enables us to monitor brainwave activity for attention? Do we embrace it? Do we resist it? I believe that there is a pathway forward with such technology. We might soon even use the technology to help people wake back up. This is a haptic scarf that MIT Media Lab has developed, which uses brainwave technology in a responsive way to give a person a little buzz, <laughs> literally when their mind starts to wander to help them refocus and hone their attention. Oh I'm giving you the positive use God. cases because what I don't want the reaction to be is let's ban this. The positive use cases. That's the framing of the positive use. We'll give you a shock necklace to, to give you a jolt like, like the cattle we're discussing when you just wander in the wrong direction. I, I just don't even understand how anybody wants that at all. In any frame, of any political side, like th that, it's like we're, this is the false dichotomy. You're like, they're creating a situation where you feel like you're fighting against one side or the other. Instead of realizing that I don't think any of us actually want this at all, other than to be anti something on the other side. That's how, I mean, it's just alarming. Everything about that. Now, the next point, as Wittgenstein points out, is how that then, in that controlled technocratic panopticon society, how you are then controlled within that in regard to these new city 15-minute kind of city discussion, which we haven't got too deep into, but it's a very concerning reality. It's already being done. And what, what I love about this tweet, as he says, the first time they say it's misinformation that you'll be locked in your zone, but five minutes later, they say you need a special permit to leave. This video is hilarious in, in, a, in a macabre way, an alarming way, about what they're saying is like, oh, well, you know, this all conspiracy theorists are altering this and they're changing that, they're lying about that. And then they literally go on to outline exactly what they just said with conspiracy theory and then go, but he, but here's the truth. And they go, but you need a permit. But like, it's like they tell you what they just said was fake news is real, but somehow they, you're supposed to just walk away thinking that it's conspiracy theory because they started by saying that and then literally tell you that you do need this. Like this is on the surface. And again, I guess it boils down to doing what's right for your, for the, for the world. At least that's what they want you to think it does. Right. What if we could create a new normal where we reclaim our time, our health and well-being? Food, medicine, education and leisure, all within a 15-minute walk or cycle. The idea of 15-minute cities has spread to Paris, Melbourne and South Korea, attracted by the promise of lower car use and a better quality of life. But it's also become the focus of conspiracies that travel outside these neighbourhoods would be restricted, a sort of climate lockdown. But thanks to COVID and COVID lockdowns, the truth was revealed that we're all apparently clamouring for these 15-minute cities. Creepy local authority bureaucrats would like to see your entire existence boiled down to the duration of a quarter of an hour. You in your area will only be allowed within that 15-minute zone that you've been allocated. Echoes of that. 
Okay, so according to them, it's just a right-wing conspiracy theory, right? Of course you can go wherever you want. That language have recently been heard in the House of Commons. Will the leader please set aside some time in this house for a debate on the international socialist concept of so-called 15-minute cities and 20-minute neighbourhoods? Disinformation researchers say this all started with the pandemic. So the idea of climate lockdown first appeared in March 2020, when news of the lockdowns in Wuhan as a result of the COVID-19 pandemic first broke into international news. And the terminology came from a set of accounts in the US who were linked to a fossil fuel think tank called the Heartland Institute. Really, it was a reframing of very old vocabulary that imagines this future of so-called climate tyranny or green tyranny, where individual civil liberties are stripped away under the pretext of solving climate change. Right, and, the, and that's completely fake. Totally not a real thing. Except here are the articles where that's exactly what they argued for and exactly argued for climate lockdowns for exactly that reason because we need to achieve certain goals and yes, that will infringe on your rights. So explain for me how exactly this next point is not exactly what she just described as fake. At the time, it gained almost no traction. But months later, a number of mainstream institutions used the efforts to tackle the pandemic as an example of the scale of what would be needed. To okay, global lockdown every two years needed. Okay, so in, in whatever fantasy land you live in, there's no way you can pretend that a global lockdown in, in does not infringe on someone's rights somewhere. So the argument that it's an illusion or a conspiracy theory that, the, that we need climate lockdowns and that will infringe on your rights is in, I mean... What kind of moron does it take to make a video where you argue it's fake and then you show exactly what they just said was fake? How do you even argue? What's, where's the nuance here? What's their argument to argue why that's not what she just said? Right? I mean, well, because they have good intentions. Like the argument is that it's the conspiracy theorist argues there's a con secret conspiracy. No, this is just good people doing good things. It doesn't really matter because their argument is this will happen and it will infringe on your rights. You call that conspiracy theory, and then you point at it happening. Like, you tell me where I'm wrong. It's just in, intensely stupid. Fight climate change. As soon as that happened, it really turbocharged this very divisive and polarizing rhetoric. Right. So when they did the thing that you said was not real, it polarized the conspiracy theory. Like, make sense of that for me. It happened, and then they went even crazier. Yeah, because they were right. Like, how else do you look at that? that pitted average people against these perceived elites. It is about control. It is about surveillance. 15-minute cities have been drawn into this narrative of insidious control. In the UK, one particular target has been Oxford, where misinformation has recently led to councillors receiving death threats. We have been receiving many calls and emails from worried residents in genuine fear that they might be locked in their own homes. The reality here in Oxford is distinctly different. The conspiracy has conflated two plans. One long-term intention to spread facilities among neighbourhoods and one traffic restriction trial due to be brought in next year, which will use cameras and a permit system to track car journeys among certain roads across the city and potentially fine people if they use them too often. I just love the face too, like, no, you stupid idiot. It's actually two things. So the fact that you're wrong, it's only, you know, so it is happening, but it's just in two different things. So you're a stupid idiot, right? But it's happening though, right? Okay, so there are restrictions based on these, are like, so the point that they're inflating, the, it, the, it, the argument is the agenda. It is happening. 
The reality that there is a restriction on where you can go and needing permits, as they're about to say next, to get past these areas, as well as the fact that there's all sorts of weird restriction levels coming from COVID restrictions or whatever else that apply in the same way. Are we really going to pretend that they wouldn't lock somebody where they thought was necessary to fight what they say is the reality? But of course, this person asked the right experts and got told the opposite story and gives you this smug look like, you're wrong. It's okay, though, because I know the right people. Like, it's just it's just so sad. Like, and just to re- the reality of the way they def- to kind of dilute the conversation by taking one point of the narrative and acting like it's the entire conversation. I mean, it's just it, BBC is the worst of the worst of the worst. There are, of course, legitimate questions as to how these schemes are implemented. This is a traffic filter and there will be six. Oh, cameras monitoring where you go. OK. Not that, I thought that was conspiracy theory in regard to you know tracking. Okay, but it's for your best interest though, so that makes it no longer conspiracy theory. Businesses, for example, reliant on drive-through trade. It's very much a message to visitors uh, and shoppers. Um, you know, people visiting our hotels and restaurants. Um, you know, that Oxford is not accessible, and you you have to stay out of Oxford. Oxford has included multiple exemptions from the scheme, including for businesses, carers, and blue badge holders. Right. So if you have the right connections, then you can go past that. Exactly what we're always telling you, right? Just like the UK can pretend they can use gas and nuclear weapons because that's green because they use it for freedom. All right. So the US does the same thing. Like it's just, it, it, you will find exemptions for the worst of the worst while you have to pay extra for your things when nothing really changes because that's really what it's about control. Visitors will, of course, be able to travel by other means, including public transport, or drive around the ring road to avoid the filters. But criticism has also been levelled at the way the proposals have been communicated. There were no great efforts for everybody in the city to be made aware of what's happening, and some people still don't actually know what's happening. Oh, so it's not, so, so it is a conspiracy then. So nobody even knows it's really happening. It's quietly being rolled out behind the scenes, but you're crazy for asking questions about it, you dumb conspiracy theorist. I just, it's just so hilarious. How do these people not realize how ridiculous they are when they don't, they, you know, it, it's a subjective choosing. Like you're choosing to acknowledge what they tell you is happening, even as the facts completely contradict that on its face. I think what's interesting yeah, I'm gonna let it play out. Actually, hold on. You can see why certain people turn to conspiracy theories. The council say they've been consulting on the idea since 2019. I, 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 I want to play that again. Communicated. There were no great efforts for everybody in the city to be made aware of what's happening, and some people still don't actually know what's happening. You can see why certain people turn to conspiracy theories. Right. So this is this constant argument we keep playing with. That so they are op- they tell you openly, like with any conversation you get just barely behind the scenes that you're that they just think you're the dumbest thing possible that you it, you get the slightest little spook and you're going to scare you're going to be irrational and run through the streets. And so they have to lie to you. Right. Because if we don't, then you guys are going to hurt yourselves because you're just a bunch of dumb animals. Right. So the inherent point here is that well, we're not going to tell you this because you're going to misunderstand it. Or the reality is, you know what's happening. And so we're going to pretend you misunderstand it. either way. You don't tell people about it. So then when they try to figure it out and try to make connect the dots, you call them idiots and conspiracy theorists, even when half the time they're right. The point is they create that situation and act like you're crazy for just trying to make sense of what they don't tell you. Like, you know, it's, 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 it's a lot of this is designed this way to make happen what they want to point at, just like the operatives of the two-party paradigm. It's the same kind of game. The council say they've been consulting on the idea since 2019. There is a wider point in all this, though. Behavioural change is seen by many experts as a crucial part of achieving the UK's legally binding climate targets. 
right. Two things to not miss there. One, 2019. So yet again, we've got something justified using COVID-19 that was planned before that. And on top of that, legally binding. Did you vote for that if you're in the UK? So now they're doing things with your life that they designed onto to an international entity that has nothing to do with what you voted for. Sounds like sovereignty, doesn't it? The UK's Climate Change Committee has, for example, urged the government to create plans to reduce demand for air travel and help change people's diets. As they show meat, meat, right? So they're urging people to take actions that stop you from doing what you want. But it's a conspiracy theory your freedoms are going to be affected or your rights. Totally conspiracy theory. This recent concern and conspiracy shows how these kinds of policies are communicated. What do you mean conspiracy? Did you just call your own statement a conspiracy? Like you just said that they're going to, they're, they're urging, urging them to take action on people's lives and they're, what they're eating, what they're doing. And then the next sentence you called that a conspiracy. Like how, in, what's funny is it is a conspiracy. Like that's actually the right use of the word. But what she's trying to do is undermine it by acting like it's a false story, even though you're, you just said they're doing that. It's almost like they're getting confused by their own narrative. Anything that actually goes against the narrative is conspiracy, even if it's actually happening. I think I think these people have like a lot of people have actually been broken, like mentally speaking, have actually kind of had schizophrenic breaks because, I mean, this is you're you're being told things that are diametrically opposite to what you know is true, what you can prove. And some people just can't work with that. They just are, are forced into doing what they they're told is what they're supposed to do at all costs. And it causes breaks. Maybe central to their success. What we find in, in research is actually if you're completely transparent about nudges. So if you about the idea that some policy proposals are designed to change people's behavior and what the government thinks are positive ways. If you actually state what the goals are of the nudge, be transparent and honest about it. Um, it doesn't reduce the, the efficacy of those types of initiatives at all. <laughs> When it comes to the future of travel, though, disinformation has already taken root. Hmm. Right. So the bottom po last point is that obviously that you, you know, same thing. He's the one telling you, why don't we just tell him the truth? They, well, that's the point. They never do. They never do. And of course, you heard in there the point being that there is a permit. There is a need for a permit to travel, except that's a conspiracy theory when they want to call it a conspiracy theory. Now, really quickly, it looks like. It looks like something has just happened. Let me check really quickly. You guys can see this. Okay, good. So Signature Bank has been closed. According to Disclose.tv. Man, oh man. Let me check real quick. Signature Bank. Well, that's interesting. That's really interesting. So there's nothing. Here we go. Oh. Hmm. That's interesting, isn't it? So this seems to suggest that it's been closed. Let me see if I got any more breaking breaking notifications. I mean, if this is if that just happened, I mean that's this is a big deal. The reality being that this is this is the sign of something really bad. Regular regulators unveil plan that fully protects all depositors of SVB. That's what they claim anyway. That's a, that's a new a new notification I just got. Interesting. This may be like literally just happening, assuming this is right. I mean, I've seen disclosed elite tweets before, right? So it could be wrong. Let's just search for Signature Bank, see what pops up. 
record results. <laughs> That's funny. I mean, if that that was on March 10th, they saw record results. Uh-oh, here we go. Signature bank stock in free fall after Silvergate collapse. Silvergate bank collapsed? My God. Anybody, give me in the chat. If anyone knows what's going on, let me know if you've seen something while we've been live. Because apparently this seems to be happening, which is really concerning. Yeah, look at this. Signature bank down 22.87% as bank collapse in, as is, geez, two banks collapse in as many days. Yeah, so this is happening. <laughs> Guys, so who knows what this is going to keep going, but, you know, understand. If we, now there's apparently three banks, if this is correct. This is now the third one has been closed. Something interesting and alarming is happening. So act accordingly. I don't, you know, the, I, you should not consider some arbitrary concept of bank runs to take, to take action that's best for you and your family. Wow. Well, we'll come back after this. Let's, let's finish with the last couple of videos we were going to play. Here is the direction of the digital ID. So all these are meant to go together, right? The point about the, the smart city, the controlled 15-minute city, the idea of specifically the kind of immersive, great reset, implantable brainwave monitoring future, right? And then the digital ID part of this, which is really the, the step that's going to be taken next as far as I can tell. Government is about to launch a new form of digital ID that means you'll never have to hand over your personal details to anyone again. It will all be stored in the Service New South Wales app on your phone. Yeah, except it doesn't matter anymore because they have everything they need, right? That's the point. Never again, except it's always immediately there. If you have a digital ID, that's where it's all stored anyway. And they have access to all of it. Like, it's such a lie. Which will prove you are who you say you are. Right, which, which you shouldn't have to do everywhere all the time. But that's what they want, the end of anonymity especially online. Scanning his license, passport and Medicare card, in less than three minutes, the minister proves he really is Victor Dominello. This is unquestionably the holy grail. This is your first look at the state's new digital ID. This is a huge step forward in giving back people control over their data, control over their identity. Personal credentials will be stored on your device. No IDs need to be handed over. And that means keeping your address and birth date to yourself. If you need to hire a car, rent a property, set up a bank account, check into a hotel, or prove you're over 18 to buy alcohol or attend an event. All you need to do is tap your phone, and that will be a validation that you are real. Australians from you know the kitchen table to the boardroom table would have an increased anxiety following the deluge of data breaches we saw late last year. But this seeks to take away the risk because companies will never have a copy of your details in the first place. But how can it trust you are who you say you are? Well, you'll need to take a selfie, which will be cross-checked against other forms of ID you've submitted. And when there's a match, right. you're good to go. Of course, once you give over the keys to the kingdom, they don't need anything else, right? Here's everything about me. The point is they're arguing like what we care about is the, these companies selling your data. I mean, there's a part of it. But the truth of it is it's not about them selling data for profit. It's about the invasive security risks and invasive governmental policies that are doing exactly what we're talking. You're handing it over to the actual person we're most concerned about. Or at least that they don't want you to see it that way. And then once you've got the digital ID and it's all encompassed on that ID, that ID can be turned off. 
And every one of them tell you that. And CBDCs is where this goes next. The technology will be opt-in and should be available later this year. Of course, opt-in at first. Benefits, too. Then, you know, negatives if you don't. And then action if you don't. That's how this always goes. Although you'll run into problems interstate. More than happy to offer it to other jurisdictions. Amy Clements, 7 News. And that's how it's going to go, too, is that you won't be able to go certain places or do certain things unless you have it. But, you know, that's that's your choice, though, isn't it? No, that's called forcing people. Now, by the way, this is just I just found this on the background. CBN, CNBC reports regulators unveil plan to fully protect depositors. We just reported and that Signature Bank has, in fact, closed. So this this does seem to be I mean, you could argue that this is a controlled like they're doing this. And, and I, I don't know. This does not seem like a good thing to me. Question everything. Come to your own conclusions. Don't be swayed by people out there swinging fear porn every left and right. But, you know, this does seem like it's important. Now, last couple points here talking about digital ID and control. Here's an example of Ford seeking to pat who's patenting already to re seeks the patent to repossess cars remotely. Think about that. If owners ignore warnings about missed payments, the system, of course, or whatever else you can insert right there, the system starts, like let's say you're wanted by the law or they think you're wanted by the law, the system starts by disabling features such as GPS, air conditioning, cruise control, and the radio. The point is they right near you, could, they could turn the heat up all the way, they could shut it down, or they could just literally remotely drive it back to where they want it to go. Remember Vault 7? Hey, all, all the conversations about how these cars could be, this is already happening. This is just normalizing this in your idea under something as benign as, well, if you don't pay your payments, then it should happen. How about when the government does it for different reasons? Oh, we just thought happening, conspiracy theorists. Well, yeah, it is happening. That's where this goes. Here is a Bay Area startup that's developing, developing a pill that meant to be swallowed. What, it's just for, you know, checking to make sure you're okay. Well, maybe at first, a pill that can change what an, and, uh, and, and discop, uh, how do you say that again? endoscopy that's how i always want to say it endoscopy <laughs> and just and ah, i'm not gonna get it wrong anyway the point is you know like checking looking internally to make sure everything's okay right it's called endi and diet and diet x what's in the name it says everything what what for us it means actually i should do this real quick since we're already long anyway let's just read it out loud and see Oh, that's the wrong one. You need like a deaf. Oh, that did have it. Endoscopy. I knew it. I can never get that. Endoscopy. How come I didn't get that? Anyway, so it says for us, it means to go inside the human body and to understand what's wrong. Smith founded the fledgling startup. He's taking aim with the multi-billion dollar endoscopy business by creating a robotic pill camera that remotely maneuvers through your GI tract. Now, you know, maybe there's no negative intentions. Maybe not. But you know how it could be used with PillBot. Lovely. Our goal is to make a pill cam that moves under its own power that would function under a Zoom call where the patient could be at their living room of all places. There'd be no need to go anywhere. Just swallow a pill, calls on Zoom. After you swallow the little robot, your doctor's basically giving you the virtual equivalent of an upper endos endo endoscopy. The 41-year-old aerospace engineer's PillBot has go is going from large shoe-sized prototypes to what it is now. You basically have a little electric rotating motor. It's saying Smith was the first to swallow the pill. He's done it 15 times. It's, it's since swam inside a cadaver. Right now, a hardcore gamer would grab our Xbox controller and tell me the video game needs this and needs that. It's an odd comparison. 
This concerns me about the overlap to how this could be used in ways much more alarming than just being able to look inside you. They've already, I'll, actually, I'll, just let, I'll play the next video, but it says they have received 3 million in seed money. I actually forgot to look in. I'd like to know from whom. The date for the FDA approval is unknown. And it says all of us in this field appreciate this is a logical path that we'll eventually get on. So we're eagerly awaiting it. I think the timetable from now is human studies in 18 months, two years. It says starting in the stomach and hopefully move to other organ systems and eventually some surgery, surgery done through little pills. Surgery. Can you not see how that could be used in other ways? If it can do surgery, then it could probably kill you. Now, you want people will immediately always reflexively push back on things like that that they don't want to hear. The truth is the government, the military always thinks of it in this term. And it most likely, it's probably how it was already used for 20 years, and now they're selling it to you as something else. Smith agrees. He believes this could be the beginning of a brand new type of medicine. Until we are actually manipulating or attacking cancer right where it lives in real time, like some kind of video game, it's unfulfilled. Well, maybe I'm reading too much into it. Well, here's a video that might make you think twice. You've seen this before. So I take a vitamin every morning. What if I could take vitamin authentication? What? Vitamin authentication. Look, I have one right here. Well, here, I'll let you hold it. Mm. Would you like to hold it? I'll hold it. Okay. <laughs> so this... You guys see it? This pill has a small chip inside of it with a switch. It also has what amounts to an inside-out potato battery. When really you small. swallow it, the acids in your stomach serve as the electrolyte. That's what they do. And they power it up, and the switch goes on and off. And it creates an 18-bit ECG-like signal in your body. And essentially, your entire body becomes your authentication token. Jesus. Yes, this is true. Now think about that in the context of where this is going. The tokenized system, you know, CBDCs, authentic. The, 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 this is exactly where they're going. Now, the question is whether that's going to be offered or it's already happening. Like, that's a real question. Okay. Okay, but... And, okay. and of course, my point is whether you're happening without us knowing that. I'm not saying I know, I think that's happening necessarily. I'm just thinking it's certainly possible. We know they're capable of it. We know they've done things like that in the past. So wait, so it's, uh, it's really true. So what this means is that that becomes my first superpower. I really want the superpower. It means that my arms are like wires. My hands are like alligator clips. When I touch my phone, my computer, my door, my car, I'm authenticated in. First superpower. Like, I want that. So, so we're not shipping that right away. Yeah, no. We're not shipping that right but, away. But it but sounds is it, like... Is it, this is FDA clear? So here's the thing. This, <laughs> this is not science fiction. This pill is actually made by a company called Proteus. And they've... Look it up. It'll scare you. ...developed it for medical applications. That pill has been CE stamped and cleared by the FDA. You can take 30 of those per day for the rest of your life. So apparently this thing's been cleared, but there's still emergency authorizing things that have been going on for three plus years. Like we are being played in every possible angle of this stuff, guys. And then what happens? Does your heart Nothing. beat change? Does your... <laughs> we can just tell that you... you've taken the pill. We can tell that you've taken the pill. A tattoo that could be used for authentication. Now, the way this video is cut, that's a little bit confusing. What she's pointing out right there is a tattoo that's not the same thing, but there's another version of this that's for authentication. All this stuff is actually happening. A tattoo that could be used for authentication. My God. My God. Which it brings me to the ending point I've shown you many times. 
For those out there going, that's impossible, that's fake news, or it never happened, they would never do it without you knowing. Well, you will see over and over and over since the beginning of the possibility for things like this that they have argued, this is from 2019, that if, if they decide that this is necessary for the safety of humanity, which we see that argument being laid at everything these days, climate change, COVID-19, it's best that we do this in unison for the safety of humanity, that if you don't do it, your grandma's going to die. Well, should they decide, which it clearly seems they already have, that these sort of collective actions are in the best interest of society? Well, they argue that that should be compulsory, but also covert. Think about that. Coverse, covert, compulsory, moral bioenhancement. Moral, but that's how they frame it. It is morally preferable for compulsory moral bioenhancement. Many different ways of bioenhancement, but specifically exactly what she's talking about. It's morally preferable, they argue, for compulsory moral bioenhancement to be administered without the recipients knowing that they are receiving the enhancement. Damn it. It is very likely that this could have already happened. And we might not even know about it until something's initiated, executed. I mean, people asked about what's in the injections. It's a valid question. For those that are so quick to shout things like that down without even looking into what's actually happening, you're irresponsible. Now, I'm not saying that's happening. I don't know because we're objective. We're, but that also means we're willing to entertain things that you would argue are conspiracy theory. All of these things should be asked. The truth is, guys, that we're in a bad way. Right. I mean, really, truly, like we're in a position of, of alarming. I mean, I've never seen a position, right? I've at least been aware to this degree of how clearly that we're being poisoned, that things are we're being lied to, that in active measures, we are being driven into some control structure. I mean, it's all right there on the surface to the point to where I don't think I think very few people actually are pushing back on this even. And then it gets into the conversation of how much of that is actually an illusion. How many people are out there pushing this because they think that's what the other side looks like? In the reality, both sides are being pushed by some kind of rapid illusion that's meant to make you point anywhere. But who's actually doing this to you? Hopefully this can reach some people, but, you know, <laughs> missed the mark on the two and a half hours, didn't I? I? I got into some things during the show today that I just wanted to flesh out. And when it's longer... I lose my need to go fast as much as I, you probably hear me talking faster at some points when I'm thinking I'm trying to get done quicker, but you know, here we are. In any case, thank you for tuning in. Thank you for continuing to support the last American vagabond. Again, we have the event coming up on March 20th that I really hope you will take the time to join or at least share, get it out there. We've got pirate stream stuff coming up too. We're working on the website right now. We got a lot coming your way guys. And the truth is we're going to keep doing this regardless because we believe in this. We believe it's important. So, (laughs) It'd be, it'd be all the better if you support us while we do it, but we're going to do it anyway. But the bottom line is we need your support to actually do this the right way and actually make real change happen. As you guys know, as we've been saying, we're, we're saying we want to build what we have here to something that is, you know, can stand on its own legs, doesn't need the, the other social media platforms, other, that we can become our own hub of information that people can go to if they want. That's how I mean. That's how I'm seeing it even today. That I, I'm done trying to, to, to push through some of these things and reach the people over there. Like I'm putting this out. And I'm hoping that it reaches everybody. And my goal is to reach the people over there that don't realize they're being lied to. But I'm done trying to force this in where people don't want it to be. Right? I mean, you guys support this platform. So we're going to continue to do what we think is right. And hopefully that gets its way in front of people. And the point is, anybody out there that is objective and cares enough to just consider what we're saying, it'll be here for you. 
So we need your support because it's difficult to exist in a world like this, in a dynamic like this, where what we're doing, most people don't like it. <laughs> on, uh, even people seeking the truth on sides of the paradigm and people attack from all angles, including people that, you, I mean, everyone we seem to be fighting for. So those of, those of you out there that realize what we're trying to accomplish, which is difficult, at very least, help get this information out. Thank you for being here. As always, question everything. Come to your own conclusions. Stay vigilant.